Robin Williams puts on a dress, Billy Bob's a bad Santa, and Disney lets it go in the snow. This week on 30-20-10. Hello everyone and welcome to 30-20-10, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a little journey back 30, 20, and 10 years ago in time. Celebrating the best in movies, TV, video games, music, and so much more. Milestones, anniversaries, three across three decades. Get ready, it's going to be fun. Uh, hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Santista, and who else is joining me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I feel contractually obligated to say this. Fuck me, Santa, fuck me, Santa, fuck me, Santa, fuck me, Santa, fuck me, Santa. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Hi, everyone. I'm JR, and I like warm hugs. <laughs> Oh, and a very special guest, and I'm sure you'll figure it out in a little bit why she's here. Who else is joining us on a special Thanksgiving episode? I'm back, a Sonya Ballantyne story. Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be here and uh, glad to discuss what I'm going to discuss, but also finding out that there's a bunch of cool stuff to talk about this, like <laughs> these last 30 years of, or so. That's true, and you're referencing uh, something that was, I believe, me and your former co-host Turbo Bison, our first fight. One of the movies in the <laughs> first <laughs> social media fights over one of the movies in this segment. Hello, everyone. We're going to be talking about November 24th through the 30th. Happy Thanksgiving to those who celebrate. Also, uh, 1993, 2003, and 2013. A lot of insane stuff happening this week. Super insane. I can't wait to get into it. Got to thank our uh, supporters at patreon.com slash laser time. Give us five bucks or don't. But we prefer you do. Or you can give us one. Or you can give us 30 20 $10 if you want. But five will get you hundreds of exclusive and uh, bonus shows. Hundreds, including stuff uh, with our 30 20, 10 cast, video game stuff, video commentaries, movie commentary, full-length movie commentaries. Get it. Five bucks. Spread the love. Spread the holiday cheer. Let's get started with 30 20, 10, November 24th through the 30th, 1993. You ready for this, Sonia? I hope it's not too... Yes. Uh, I hope it's not too USA-centric, because the first thing definitely oh, is. Um, <laughs> the Brady Bill passes, establishing a five-day waiting period for U.S. handgun sales. Uh, what happened to us? <laughs> it is for federal dealers only, and it's for states that don't have other stronger regulations. But at least it's freaking something. And, a, and effective, 12, statistically. 12 years after James Brady gets shot in the fucking head by the guy aiming at reagan mm -hmm. he finally gets his bill passed yep and did it not get For, renewed or was that just the assault weapons ban that's been the assault weapons ban was dropped uh, i believe this is still in effect with lots of extensions and caveats because it's only for federal dealers but it doesn't regulate like if i want to sell you my gun who is a federal dealer like bass i Pro will Shop? buy your gun yes <laughs> Yeah, what's, well, you can't. You're Canadian. Well, yeah, what's, no. the, what's the last gun news you've even heard of in Canada? Because uh, uh, The only time, uh, like, uh, I am going to Vegas shortly, mm -hmm. um, and I am planning to go to the gun range because you guys have a multitude of things you can shoot at a gun range in Vegas that um, everybody from countries with more 
uh, stringent gun laws uh, love to do. Because, like, last time I went to that gun range, everybody that was there to shoot guns was from France, from England, from <laughs> Australia, from Canada. And we were firing off 50 caliber rounds and, like, basically throwing fake grenades. It was, like, it was basically, the, you remember that scene in The Purge? That was basically, like, <laughs> so we, were, uh, we would be one of the Purge people that would uh, immigrate for the the events of the movie, basically. <laughs> Look at me, I'm yeah. American, holding a big gun. Ha ha ha! Like, wow. Yeah. Now, now I'm just picturing Canada on Purge night going, what the hell is up with them? They're right across the border. Why do they do this every year? Yeah. Oh. I would just go just so I could steal um, American uh, base snacks because you guys have like the best American, you guys have the best snack food that we do? don't get here. Um, specifically Fruity Pebbles. I really want what? Fruity Pebbles. Oh. Like the right kind of Fruity Pebbles. Like I will, I will trade you that for all the all-dressed chips. Yum. Yes. They're very, very good. <laughs> you will get a package soon, then. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I forgot you did do that. Uh, uh, and then uh, also in the news, Democratic political strategist James Carville, Mary's Republican strategist uh, Mary Madeline, not the uh, deaf lady, they are still together, which does give you a bizarre kind of hope that we can all eventually get along, I guess. I can't even imagine this. We go about um, of... an American jungle fever, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Political jungle fever. For a lot of people, politics is a straight-up job. It is. You got mm. people who work at Microsoft who will take a job, who will marry someone from Apple. And for a lot of people, their yes. political job is the exact same. Just assume ideology is a little different, but whatever. Yeah. We're all a little... Or there is none. Maybe everyone's super cynical and they just mm. fight for whatever team is paying them. Yes. yes. And love is love, yeah. Not that I would ever date a conservative. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I know you conservatives are all rushing out to date a big old native lady, but like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my my story of trying to uh, try try not fighting off hard enough dating a Trump supporter was one of the most harrowing experiences <laughs> of my life. And that's a story for another time. Maybe patreon.com slash later time. Uh, and then let's get into the movies because this is a big, big week. Uh, 1993 movies, November 24th to the 30th. The First up, Jason Robards, Anthony Hopkins, and Kyle McLaughlin in The Trial. Please make your movie sound more boring. I challenge you. <laughs> the Trial. <laughs> well, it, it is based on the Franz Kafka book. And it is the screenplay is by Harold Pinter. So that should be good for fancy, classy people. But the reviews of this are not great. And the Orson Welles version is a lot better. Ah, good. Yeah. Ka Kafka's been on my reading list for getting close to 30 years at this point. You know, heard about him in high school. And I was like, I should really read that. <laughs> 30 years later. Mm. haven't haven't got around to it which is a shame because he didn't write that much if you no. have like a three-day weekend you could probably plow through the complete works of kafka in a three-day weekend don't do that <laughs> you'll I, be very I, frustrated i think i mentioned the last time i was here that um i often Often watch the filmographies of uh, random actors I've become obsessed with. So I watched this because Alfred Molina is in it. Oh, I don't remember yeah. it at all. So I think I just like blacked out everything that wasn't Alfred Molina and like passed out. <laughs> hmm. um, it is really interesting to me. Kafka esque <laughs> is a word. You can refer to that, and people generally have a sense of what you're talking about. There's been no major Kafka movies in 50, 60 years. Nope. 
Well, now, if you're if you're now, a fan yeah, of yeah. our birthday song, I encourage you to check out the home movies musical version. My man is gonna turn into a bug. Uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> lots I mean, of great songs. In, in a way, uh, old boy is Kafka esque. Yeah, it's totally Kafka esque. One hundred percent. Yeah. So, I think it just doesn't lend itself to like uh, an enjoyable time, if that makes sense. It's kind of like watching like um, Schindler's List. You're going to learn something, but you might not have a good time doing mm. it. <laughs> you could watch like Twelve Years a Slave and uh, like learn a lot about yourself, but not have a good time. <laughs> like it's one yeah. of those movies you watch to enrich your brains, and so it's like, but it's uh, on the whole very boring. <laughs> so. <laughs> And uh, next right. up in the movies, we have well uh, through some of these. <laughs> we have what do you want to call it? Our once a decade in my lifetime, some studio thinks it's a good idea to adapt the Nutcracker into a movie, and it never ever works. It's one of those things. Yeah. I think you're better off seeing a local production of. And this version put yeah. Macaulay Culkin in it, but it is very much a filmed play. Lots of dancing. He- he doesn't dance. No. There's lots of shots of Macaulay just sitting down, smiling <laughs> and looking at the dancers. But it's not, see, Macaulay, dance. Um, no. Well, they have to pay extra for that. Like, uh, his dad probably wouldn't have let him put on those shoes unless he paid handsomely for that. I don't even know if he's trained as a dancer. Like, so, nah. joke. No. no, it's a film ballet. And okay, if you're really jonesing for a ballet that like literally every ballet school does the nutcracker mm-hmm. at this time of year every professional ballet every semi-professional every community college like you have <laughs> options you don't need this yeah we'll if- have a nutcracker production put on patreon pretty soon so <laughs> <laughs> and then next if up- you've only seen one ballet in your life there's a 85% chance it was the Nutcracker. True. Yeah. True. Then moving on for something I never saw, but the poster for the movie looks more like something you'd get at an 80s scholastic book fair. We got Josh and Sam. <laughs> I just knew it as the poster of the two kids sitting next to the Ferrari in the desert because they're runaways. This sounds like a Ferrari. Yeah. yeah. They steal it. I mean, in, in some ways it sounds like okay, it's about, like, kids of divorce and they gotta go from one parent to the other and and then they decide to run away and wackiness ensues and also, like, the older kid is convincing the younger kid he's actually a robot. There's a lot of funny ideas there and it just sounds like no one enjoyed this, except probably small kids. Yeah. But, like, every review by grown-ups was like, well, this was joyless and stupid. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, fair. And then we got to move into the big three, uh, beginning with, I think I want to call this, Steven Spielberg had an absolutely astounding presence in animation in the late 80s, early 90s, and this is kind of the end. In terms of success, not in terms of qu- objective quality, but like... Was this a success? No, no, no. It I, no, it was not a success is what I'm saying. But like okay. the man who the man who brought us Roger Rabbit, Fievel, American Tale, Land Before Time, Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, and then here we he's returning the dinosaurs with We're Back a Dinosaur Story with John Goodman and Walter Cronkite and the only animated performance from Jay Leno that I know of other than The Simpsons. <laughs> 
well, I could talk uh, at length about the greatness of this movie. Go out and watch it. It's quite amazing. Um, I, uh, I was the right age to really like this movie. I think I was about nine or eight years old when it came out. And I, I was obsessed with dinosaurs. I was also obsessed with Yard- Yardley Smith, who plays one of the lead characters. Um, I love... Uh, I was basically really obsessed with, like, scary movies and ki- scary scenes in kids' movies because there was a specifically really terrifying scene at the end where um, the bad guy gets eaten by his own crows, basically. It's really... <laughs> like, it makes no sense at all, but, like, it, it was just really unsettling. And so um, it's also... Uh, this movie is why I'm, I'm also obsessed with New York and why whenever... I say the Museum of Natural History, I have to say it the way they do in the movie, which includes a wink at the end. So it's like, that's, <laughs> yes, that's so what I like. I love the most about it is so few animated movies take place contemporarily. Mm-hmm. And it, it is like Oliver and Company is like the last movie to do that. And so it's, it's nice. It shows an animated, idealized version of a real city which you you very rarely get to see, and I, I love the scenes. I love the buildings, the way they make the they painted the buildings yes. in New York. Um, there's one scene where uh, like they're flying on the pterodactyl, and the girl's hat flies off because she's on her balcony in like Central Park or something. And like just the animation of that scene is just so beautiful because it's like it really gives you the idea of how big New York is. And as a kid who had never been to New York until I was like in my thirties, it was such a cool thing to see because like it's very difficult to portray tray size yeah. on a film like to really like the last movie i remember really summing that up for me was uh the hunchback of notre dame when oh. i finally saw notre dame i was like oh, wait it really is as big as they make it seem in that movie <laughs> so, i i criticize this as underwritten just because like it seems to have one too many framing devices dude this ah uh, 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 okay this was kind of baffling to me to find out okay it's based on a children's book that's like 20 pages long yeah um and it's pretty much just dinosaurs appear and then they blend in with the thanksgiving day parade and that's like the whole book like oh okay so now thanks to john patrick shanley who wrote doubt and and moonstruck at this point was his calling card now it's like there's a kid and they want to run away to the circus and then there's like the good scientist and the bad scientist. A scientist who goes back in time to feed dinosaurs brain enhancing cereal to bring them to the present for reasons. And hopefully, uh, <laughs> so we think, uh, the reasons, but like I, I'm, I'm very hurt by your tone, Chris. The reasons <laughs> are because the good scientist has a radio that collects all the prayers and wishes of little kids in the world, <laughs> and one of the biggest ones is that they want to see dinosaurs. I guess this was after Jurassic Park, so one of the wishes made on that radio was mine. <laughs> I wanted to see <laughs> I thought the um, kid's yeah. wish was to hear John Goodman sing because that is a silly, yeah, silly I sequence. Actually really like that song too. <laughs> so we just talked about the cat in the hat which you know is a 400 word story transformed into a full-length feature too long. that was horrible sonia cover your ears this is horrible too <laughs> so <laughs> i'm wondering have there been any good movies that have been based upon these like short 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 amounts of text uh, awesome. Oh, where the wild things are yes, yeah. I was yeah um possibly matilda like uh i don't know whether that's a bit longer so like yeah, that's a that. book, book. Um, uh yeah that's, yeah, a, that's a good question because it 
they've been happening more frequently, but like I didn't see Captain Underpants. It ain't for me. <laughs> uh, oh, my you kid loves the Captain <laughs> Underpants books. Every time there's a new one, we pre-order it. And wow. we have not seen that movie because the books are fine. It's not impossible. Yeah. And uh, Horton, here's a who. Not not. It's just the yeah. least terrible of the, all yeah. those Dr. Seuss movies. And, uh, and then I think we, we got to move on because there's some biggies here. I don't know why this was so big for me. Bradley Whitford, Laura Dunn, Clint Eastwood, and Kevin Costner in A Perfect World. Are you going to shoot me? Kevin Costner. Hell no. Me and you are friends. He just broke out of jail. You got no problem if I handle this? Clint Eastwood. He has to bring him back. This is not a penal escape situation. This happens to be a manhunt. You're not bad, are you, Butch? Oh, yeah. Sometimes good men break the law. Sometimes lawmen break the rules. A Perfect World, directed by Clint Eastwood. Oh, I... Well, what's with the early 90s and manhunt movies? Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> hmm. that's, that's a good point. Yeah, no, this is huge because Clint is on a fucking roll. Yeah. Kevin Costner is at the height of his powers. Yep. The, the, these two guys between them won two Best Picture Oscars two years ago. And, and Diana, this now is, they're teaming up. This is the first Clint Eastwood directed movie I ever saw because I had to go back okay. and watch Unforgiven. And if you haven't heard me say this a billion times, Clint Eastwood is a man I don't like personally. <laughs> I always fall in love with everything he makes. I love like every movie that guy makes. And I, I wish I didn't. But this happened to me as I'm watching this. Like I said, I'm watching like every movie now. I'm 13 years old. I'm rent. It's possible to do. I'm renting like three to four movies a weekend. And something about this felt like, oh, this is more mature. I didn't expect myself to like it, but I found it really moving. The story of this Stockholm syndrome, a little kid forcibly kidnapped by an escaped convict who develop a bond as Clint Eastwood is hunting him down and this kid is uh what do you call it jehovah's witness so has like no idea about anything so even like little giving him a candy bar is like spoiling him and christmas all to all rolled into one and it's it's very melodramatic dude would you believe i had this poster in my room for years (laughs) this movie weird weird well i i don't know i don't know if we talked about that but like we'd go to movie gallery blockbuster and other video stores and when the posters were rotated out you'd get your you could pick one you could put your name on stuff but people took all the good stuff this was the only, <laughs> i loved i was like i love this movie so it's a boring ass white poster i had it in my room for years i loved this movie and watched it a ton of times kind of held up for me but like it's very by the numbers i feel like you've i've seen a bunch of other stories like this even though i can't name any but uh yeah i think it had a really depressing ending and that that did something to me as a young like burgeoning teenage film fan uh bummer of an ending and uh it gave me the phrase skivvies because the kid is kidnapped in his underwear and kevin costner says it over and over again and i say it to everyone and nobody knows what i'm talking about <laughs> Boy, you're right there in your but, skivvies. 
<laughs> well, I like, well, I like um, that it's both Kevin Costner and uh, Clint Eastwood because, like, one of the biggest things about Kevin Costner-directed movies where he directs himself, they're always very Mary Sue-ish and, like, he's always portrayed mm, yeah. very strongly. And that's why I really love Clint Eastwood-directed movies where he's the lead because they're fallible men. Like, they're they're men with, with, um, with flaws. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, like, why his movies are so good is because he lets himself be portrayed that way. And it's like it gives a vulnerability to the character. Like I'm speaking specifically about Unforgiven because I've mm-hmm. never seen this one. But like, mm-hmm. um, it takes a, there's very there's very few male created filmmaker male filmmakers who would want to be portrayed as anything but like the best oh. and like the hardest guy. Blah yeah. blah blah. But like, yep. it's it is really cool of him to always be um, somebody who is learning when he is like in these roles. So it's like, I don't know, like I, I really want to check this out now on the advice of Chris, like just because like, Oh, you had the movie poster. Oh, uh, don't, I mean, it's one of those things. Don't take my word for, cause I had the thing memorized practically. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I couldn't tell you why. Okay. I, just, I just, I just really, okay. really liked it as a kid. And uh, Clint Eastwood didn't want to be in the movie. I think Kevin Costner sort of suggested that. And it's like the character is barely there. It's just, you can mm. put his name on the poster now as starring in the film. It, yeah. it, this is Kevin Costner's movie. Yeah, and and kind of like what Sonia was saying, that Clint Eastwood's as being like the cop was trying to hunt him down. And I was like very pleasantly surprised. It's like, yeah, he is also flawed. He he brings along, he's kind of forced to bring along Laura Dern, who's like a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who figures everything out. Like she understands what's going on. Clint's just like, I guess we put up roadblocks and we'll find him sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, we'll shoot them out of the car. It'll be fun. We'll shoot someone <laughs> who looks enough like him that it'll satisfy the public. Whatever. And it bums me out because this is Kevin Costner, some of his best acting, yeah. man. He is not an actor, especially like in something Clint's style of just like, whenever you're ready, that's fine. Okay just calmly letting people do their thing. It's like, God damn, I wish we had more of this Costner. Yeah. I, I, I vouch for this movie. Can't recommend it for everybody, but I was really pleasantly surprised with how well the next movie held up in a modern viewing. And part of that is because it's tinged with tragedy, but uh. great. I, I had a great time with it. Mara Wilson, Matthew Lawrence, Lily Jacob, Robert Prosky, Polly holiday, Harvey Firestein, Pierce Brosnan, Sally field, Robin goddamn Williams in uh, Jesus might be one of his most enduring films. Number of the box office. It's Mrs. Doubtfire. To see his kids, I need to be with my children. Daniel Hillard was ready for anything. Now, ready or not. One drop or two. Would you like another one? Oh, there you go. Here comes Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, sir. The terrorists, they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. Robin Williams is Mrs. Doubtfire. A father's work is never done. Mrs. Doubtfire. You're coming into the men's room. Ready PG-13. Starts Wednesday, November 24th at... This movie is so uh, bizarre to me because it was one of the first times I ever saw a movie where... You are not supposed to like the lead character. Like he da- like the character Daniel is a bastard. Like he is terrible. And like kind uh, of I remember dad. they're trying to they're trying to set it up that like Pierce Brosnan is this terrible man and like how dare he try to break up mommy and daddy. But I'm like, he is dating this woman with like three kids and yeah. he loves the kids and he loves her and wants her to like focus on her career and all this other stuff. And Robin Williams is fucking it up. And I'm just like, wait a second, Robin Williams is not the good guy in this. Whoa. Well, not, at, not at first, but like that's, I think the 
nice bit of realism they added to this. I even texted my friend who's a custody attorney because like, I think films about divorce have been mostly dramas for adults or like side issues in Spielberg movies. But this, this is kind of rooted around divorce and custody. Or, uh, yeah, Yeah. Yeah, something that gets the parents back back together. But like, like you said, they portray Pierce Brosnan, like this is, almost better than Sally Field deserves. <laughs> like, uh, ideal partner. And Williams is really fucking this up. I think when I was younger, I was just like, man, I wish my dad was that fun. But he probably wouldn't yeah. have been around as long. Well, that is yeah. something that comes from watching this with adult eyes and realizing mm-hmm. being married to this guy would be fucking exhausting. I don't blame her for a second. That's yeah. not subtext. That's text. There's a yeah. great scene in this film when she is talking to Robin Williams in drag as Mrs. Doubtfire. And she starts complaining about her ex-husband, him. And you can see a look on his eyes where he's suddenly starting to see himself through her eyes and he's realizing how much hurt and pain he put her through Mm -hmm. yeah and i think with a lesser actor it wouldn't have worked so well because like robin williams is amazing in this movie specifically for those like quiet scenes where he was like because there's that really beautiful scene where sally field tells mrs doubtfire like i would basically go to bed crying like not like because like he was hurting me all the time like he wasn't trying he wasn't living up to his expectations because she still cares about him like she like he she had kids with him like she loves him but she loves who he was when he was like younger, mm-hmm. when he was funnier, when, but the, then that stuff gets so annoying, like because he's not growing up. I also think the whole thrust of this movie is realizing you can love someone and not want to be married to them because yeah. that's where they arrive at the end of this film. They realize, it's like, kind of beautiful. I do care about you, mm-hmm. I do wish you well. We should not be married mm-hmm. to each other at mm-hmm. all. And that is. So mature for a 1993 cross-dressing exactly. comedy. I mean, yeah. that is not <laughs> what I would have expected. No, no. The, the, the default 1993 would have been like, gosh, golly, I don't even remember why we got divorced. Let's get back together for the kids I, and we'll never have problems again. In my yeah, 40s, and- I am way more entertained by personal stories of the people around me way more more than like people falling in love people who divorce and become good co-parents and like mm-hmm. have a great mm-hmm. relationship and can hang out with one another that warms my heart more than a good meeting story <laughs> well and yeah. i really love how realistically they portray how toxic the parents are with their children at the beginning because they're basically pitting the kids against each other and like not like and it's not like one or the other is really doing it more they're both doing it like they're both insulting the other to the kids they're both like uh trying to get the kids on their side and it's just mm. like and it really is horrible to see how um like they like how painful it must be for sally field when she comes back like with like the cake and like she's always the mean parent because she has to rein in her husband and i'm like yeah it would suck to be married to him (laughs) like 100 percent. he is he is not being a responsible father um fatherhood is a job where it's rewarding at times it's incredibly necessary it's a really important but it's still a job. It's still something that you have to do. And there's aspects of it where you have to do it, even if it's like, I actually don't like being a disciplinarian. I do not like disciplining people. When I'm with my friends, I'm like, well, 
if you want to get drunk and fall in the river, that's your deal. Uh, I'll fish you out, but I ain't going to stop you. But when you're a father, you don't have that option. You got to be, fuck it, fine. I will be the bad guy and tell you you can't do that super fun thing. Fine. And Robin Williams' character will never, ever do that. Yeah. And tell he's put in a different position. Yeah, his, that's kind of the thing I love about drag-based comedies, and this lines up the best with Tootsie, but also for some like it hot, other things where it's like he becomes a better person by pretending to be a better person. He has a new perspective by being an old lady, and yeah, finally being able to put his foot down, and it's like, it's okay if I put my foot down if I miss a stout fire because they won't be mad at dad. And he realizes, yeah. wait, I should have just put my foot down in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I think he was constantly like he was one of those dads that was constantly afraid of being the the bad one. Like he he wanted his kids to like him, like that, like because they had a great time when his kids liked him. But like he didn't want to be the part where he's like, I don't want you guys eating cake for breakfast, and I don't want you to run across the street without holding my hand. Like he, like he, like he didn't want to be that type of parent. But I'm like, he has to be because these kids need him to be the adult and such. And so like that whole scene where. Where, uh, he's first Mrs. Doubtfire and like shuts off the TV and and stands up to his eldest daughter is like him finally realizing what he needs to do to get them to like respect him as Mrs. Doubtfire but like it is like one of those greatest movies like I just I still watch it occasionally and it's there's some cringy parts that I don't really like but like uh, the whole part with the ending where he gives his heartfelt speech to the judge where in any other movie he would win the chance to be with his kids and he rightfully is told like no it's not healthy for you after all you've done to be with your children <laughs> alone like this like look thing. at what you did you're if, uh, read it back pretending it's someone else you're a psychopath <laughs> no i think this absolutely and this came up so much you know when robin williams passed of like yeah this is the perfect robin williams movie because they've also mm. It has to be heartfelt. It has to be funny. And they've also structured it. So like every 20 minutes or so, he gets to just do a bit. Yep. Just, and that's, just and let that's, it ref. Just try on the different makeup. Do a bit. Just try on the different voices. That, it's a bit. That Play is, with the dinosaurs. Do a bit. That is my the greatest story. And I haven't rewatched this. I think the entire time I lived in San Francisco, I didn't watch this. I owned oh. it on home video. I watched it almost every day. I remember watching it on TV plenty. In my memory of it, like, yeah, that's another fucking drag comedy. Who cares? And I put it on. It's on streaming on Disney+. Plus. I, I was shocked by how much I guffawed out loud in 2023. It, 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 like Sonia said, it's not Tony Curtis. It's Robin Williams, the funniest man who ever lived. He elevates this into a totally different stratosphere. And as we grow old and how we experience movies... I got to think other than like Aladdin, this, this will probably live in the zeitgeist longer than any other Robin Williams fan, uh, film. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. Kid. yeah I, I think this is it. Um, and, and, like yeah. never like uh, like Robin Williams never like was just focusing on the comedy. Like I think that's something that a lot of like comedians get wrong, where they're just like this movie is about the comedy, and like he is playing all of the emotions of this father who just wants to be with his children, and like he does some insane things to mm -hmm. get near his kids. But I'm like, 
you can see like he, you, he never loses his charm like because you you can ju- you can justify his reasoning and you can see his brother talking to him about like maybe this is kind of like out there but because it lets his brother play with the things he loves to do of course he helps him and I think that's one of the greatest scenes of any comedy between uh, Harvey Feistein. I can't remember. I can't yeah. Pronounce Harvey Feistein. Yeah. I love him in this role just because of how he, he doesn't even ask why, why, why Robin Williams needs the mask or look, to look like a woman. He just like goes with it and he's, and he's just happy. And I, I can't, I can't pinpoint this for certain, but uh, as a kid, it's the first family focused movie. I remember seeing a gay couple in yes. like prominently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uncle Frank and Aunt Jack. It's, it shouldn't be as funny <laughs> as it is. Which was funny to me because that's how we referred to our um, my my gay uncle and his partner. We mm. would call his his partner aunt or auntie. <laughs> <laughs> so like it, it really fit for me just because for that reason and like I, their their relationship is so cute because I love the the phone call where they're discussing it and he calls his partner a bitch and his mom thinks it's at him yes. or at her and like it's just like the best bit call. But he's like, no, I wasn't saying that to you, Ma. And like, just the conversation where we never see his mother, but you can hear them talking the whole time. Like, yes, Ma, I'll tell him. Yes, Ma, I'll, I'll tell him. Yes. And then it like hangs up and such. It's Harvey. It's, like, it's Harvey Firestein's best role since uh, Carl on The Simpsons. Yes. It's, I can easily say that. And and the, yeah. the, the thing that makes me like, you know, a little sad, but also happy, uh, the house in the film, when Williams died, that's where people laid flowers as tribute. And it's also funny to me, like it's not just easy to find the house. They say the correct address in the film. You can, <laughs> you can go there anytime you want. TripAdvisor has a guide to do that. And and there's, it, it also makes me this, this story was in the hopper for a while. I was shocked to learn it's based on a kid's book from England. And, uh, Robin Williams is uh, the, one of the most bankable comedy stars in the world, and he had a little sway and would always, you know, change things a little bit when he got involved in a project. And I have to imagine he, he's why this is set in the Bay Area. Like, that's where he liked to be, and yeah. that's that's why it's it's so beautiful. There's so many great sequences as a former San Franciscan that was uh, also warmed my heart to see during all this, and Yep. Yeah. 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 Like the scene where Mrs. Doubtfire's purse almost got stolen. I love that scene. (laughs) (laughs) But it does fall into the Chris Columbus directed trap of, oh, these people are actually billionaires and they're just not saying anything. (laughs) That house sold for $4 million (laughs) most recently. Most recently, that house is about $5 million. At the time, it was worth $1.7 million. Wow. In 93 Back then, before things really got out of hand in San Francisco, they were only completely out of hand, not bizarrely out of hand. Well, Sally Field's going to help open a place with bed and breakfast that charge $500 a month, and I just love... I was in San Francisco. That ain't shit. <laughs> 1993. That must have seemed high. That is about the average hotel stay in San Francisco. Uh, my only real issue with the film is the beginning. It is like the last piece of original Chuck Jones animation. And none of that is how animation works. They, they do not have a person come in and score the performance after the fact. Not how it works. <laughs> it is the opposite of how. And Robin Williams should know that. And it's there's something about that. He does so many things I love in Genie, and I'm pretty sure he's the reason it's set in San Francisco. He went through a divorce with three children. So it, it, you can you can trick your brain into thinking Mrs. Doubtfire is somehow autobiographical. 
just because it yeah. seems like it it stretch it stretches his Juilliard muscles, it stretches his genie muscles. It's uh, yeah. it. I always say Fisher King is the perfect Robin Williams vehicle. This is re- way up there after this re- reappraisal. I, I couldn't believe how much I fucking laughed at this. I really couldn't. <laughs> yeah. No, we talked last week about Adam's family values. I think they were victim number one of Mrs. Doubtfire yeah. because Aww. this took that entire family audience away. And I love that movie. This is the second highest grossing film of 1993. Jurassic Park made twice as much. And this is number two. It's it cost like everywhere that year. Yeah, this was everywhere. Remember, yep. like everybody wanted to see it. Everybody was rushing to see it. Like it was so funny, and like it still holds up. Like even like uh, be, most films about LGBT content can sometimes age really badly, mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. one has some moments, but it's also very fun. And like I, I, going back to what Chris said about the gay brother. It works because like they never call attention to it. They just yeah. like they just say like that's my brother and his husband. <laughs> so it's just like and, like and it was again one of the first like Chris said it was one of the first times I ever saw a gay couple on TV. Right. It wasn't made, they this, never made a big deal about it. If this wasn't in San Francisco, would you have this? Would it be set in San Francisco mm-hmm. if not for Robin Williams? It's just part of that that rolls around and makes it might be a little head cannony, but it really made me appreciate this film more than I did since the moment it came out. And I would, I hope I recommend if you have a itch to you do the same. Mrs. Doubtfire was, everybody else had fun with it. Again, it, I was surprised by how much it held up. It makes me nostalgic for the idea that a comedy can be the second highest grossing fucking movie. Oh. Such a different world. Look through the top 10 films of the last five years. Seven of them are Disney tell, franchises. <laughs> tell me when you get a non-sequel, non-franchise, let alone a comedy, yeah. a new original comedy. I do not know the last time that was in the top IP uh, top ten for the list. Tell mm-hmm. me, listeners, research yeah. my homework for me, please. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's my- yeah let's give it a hearty recommend, Mrs. Doubtfire, and move on because we got a lot to go. My through. lock of the week, yes, exactly. Lock of the week. There's I have a few locks of the week this week. It's just it is. We should Thanksgiving is a good box office. Uh, release date. It's where they release a lot of ten poles, but TV has some great stuff going on, including maybe the reason Sonya is even here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cartoon Network uh, launches its first original animated program. I'll give that an asterisk. Uh, the Moxie Show debuts, and it is very, very weird to remember. Cartoon Network's original programming, they were all all of it is kind of like MTV. We want a VJ to introduce this catalog of short cartoons we have from Popeye, Looney Tunes, Hanna-Barbera, MGM, and Bobcat Goldthwait shows up as this CG dog with his buddy Penn Jillette Fly, and they introduce cartoons. Carrot Top would go on to do it. Space Ghost would go on to do it. It was a lot of Cartoon Network's original programming, but yeah, they were more than... I'm sorry. I was just looking at the the technology that they're... The idea was... We should have animated bumpers. Those are expensive and slow to make, so they're trying mocap. Mocap, mocap for the first In time. In 1993, mm-hmm. it's I, not good. I don't know what's cheaper <laughs> if you if you go between Carrot Top and Space Ghost Animation. I, I couldn't tell you which one was cheaper, uh, but yeah, I I watched a lot of this. But there's you know there wasn't a lot to the show. It was it was basically a 1950s clown to get you from classic cartoon to classic cartoon. Yeah. Even. Be- even better for kids' entertainment, 
I just have to give you a whiff of this theme song because it fills me with positivity. Oh. Oh, everybody knows what that is. It is Pete and Pete. We talked about a few years ago because it was uh, interstitial shorts Nickelodeon had in between shows back when Nickelodeon wasn't the highest rated cable network and needed inventory. (laughs) Pete and Pete finally becomes a full fledged show. And for my money, there's a lot of animation from my youth that holds up that you can still watch today. Almost no live action stuff from my youth that holds up. Pete and Pete is unbelievably great. It is one of the best shows. It You don't lose anything when you watch. It is so beautifully shot. Seems really expensive. New Jersey looks gorgeous. Has the best guest stars that you would not appreciate as a kid. Steve Buscemi, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Michael Stipe showing up. Cool. And ha- because... Because their budget was low, they reached out to like indie recording studios and has the best fucking soundtrack of bands that were fucking popular 10 years ago breaking on a Nickelodeon show. Iggy Pop is a constant presence. <laughs> it is such a live action cartoon. It makes me so happy. I, I can't be alone. You got positive memories of Pete and Pete. Oh, I'm a little older Zero. than JR and uh, Diana. You guys might have aged out of this, but did you ever see I, this? I am from Canada, so I didn't get to see it. Like, oh! I missed that train, sadly. Well, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I have had so many people. That, yeah, I missed this. I was a teenager at the time. You know, I was getting my driver's license, man. Um, and so many people. I've read articles about, like, this might be the best kids show ever made it is it, it is completely watchable for adults i have seasons one and two on dvd that i still haven't cracked because three is still not available and this isn't streaming yep. you have to watch it illegally on youtube yep. but all of it is there i checked yeah the first two <laughs> seasons i have on dvd thank god with the music preserved it has the best soundtrack of any kids show it is un- an unbelievably fun watch and it operates on cartoon logic it's kids arrested development. I cannot recommend Pete and Pete enough. Uh, oh, I did watch that then. Yes, <laughs> it's 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 so wonderful. Um, and I, I'm 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 sad. Uh, yeah, that uh, you guys don't have more. But yeah, you were on the cusp of adulthood here, and I'm still li- living in kids' world. Just a couple of years. Well, I was difference. in Canada, and Sonia was in a distant <laughs> land, uh, enjoying uncut kids in the hall episodes. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's yes. how I what drag was. Yeah, <laughs> speaking you know, of- it's so weird. There, there's something about the just the look of it that made me think maybe it was a Canadian show. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, it just it seemed like this this might actually be like a CBC production, and they just <laughs> it, it, if I watch it, it. Someone's accent's gonna slip, and I'll be like, oh. It's the first time I learned what New Jersey was because it was so yes. green, so green. Like not a hint of brown until the fall comes. It's just it's a beautiful place to shoot suburbia, and I, you, there's no other show that looks like it in my opinion. And it's just done because Nickel, Nickelodeon. There's a great documentary about how like everything they tried to do had to be a little different and not insult kids' intelligence. It wasn't meant to be enjoyed by adults. Just meant to be weird, something you've never seen before and would talk about. Love Pete and Pete so fucking much. Uh, also this week, Nick and Noel presented in syndication by Toys R Us. Welcome to the shopping season, everyone. Uh, uh, I am. I feel like I'm happy to report. Did I say that on this show? I think Black Friday was murdered. 
uh, yeah. by COVID. Yeah. Last week, uh, it's over. It's just not the thing it was growing up. But yeah. In 1993, I feel like it's on the on ramp oh, yeah. to insanity. Yeah, and everybody like the like there was like a whistle on television like when Thanksgiving ended. Really hard retail promotion. <laughs> Let's go. And uh, also on TV this week, something none of us will remember fondly. <laughs> uh, but again, it's for the the warm cockles of the boomer heart. Uh, ben Johnson, Emily Warfield, I don't know. Bonanza The Return. Bonanza, yeah. a show that ran from 1959 to 1973. <laughs> yes. And several of its leads are dead. <laughs> yeah. We have their sons. Michael Landon Jr. is Wow. (laughs) Well, the whole thing, Bonanza was about the Old West. This is set in 1905. Cinemas are a thing at that point, you know? it's It it is not quite the Old West of the prime years. The Old West is basically 1865 to 1890. That is where the vast majority of Old West movies take place of. And once you get past that, it's kind of like, well, this isn't quite the vibe you were going for but i'm sure it brought back together all the old favorites love and i'm kind of surprised we don't see more of these yes we get the rebuilt boots the fuller houses but wouldn't you get the same buzz for one of these streaming services if you just did a 90 minute tv movie yeah united some of these old cheesy tv shows i feel like that's something with prestige television all beloved shows have to have a fitting ending and it makes it a lot harder to come back and do a reunion because people completely change. You want to stick the landing on your show. Whereas some of these shows, like they just go off the air. They don't have an ending at all. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it can not for us, but who knows? Maybe uh, Mario Van Peebles and Patsy Kensett can bring us into the TV movie <laughs> full eclipse uh, no, they can't because this is about a division of the LAPD. I think I think it's the LAPD, but it's it's about a division of cops that are secretly werewolves. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and most of the reviews are like, "You want some cheesy, stupid fun?" Like it it is really it's he- very action heavy and really stupid. Uh, all right, uh, werewolf cops. Just, just <laughs> picturing the like promo for it. They're cops. And they're werewolves. Tonight on ABC. (laughs) Tonight. Do they turn into werewolves to become cops? (laughs) Yeah, on a full moon, they become cops. (laughs) 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 That's what a great idea. And they hate it more than anybody. Uh, (laughs) I mean, do you get overtime if you're a werewolf? Oh, shit. Yeah. Work on moonlight. Yeah. yeah, like if you started, you clocked in as a human, but then you're a werewolf. Because I assume, you know, if you're a werewolf, you can you can stay up all night. So, do they make the canine rate of the canine officers, or do they like get the normal rate because they're humanoid? Uh, I don't that's know. why it's, that's, a, it's a problem for internal affairs. That's but. why McBain <laughs> always takes the night shift. Lock me in. Uh, I have <laughs> never before considered whether werewolves can drive a car. It's it's probably possible. Uh, There's a lot of werewolves out there that wear clothes, so why not? And (laughs) finally, for the the biggest show on earth that I don't have any context for, and is the reason we reached out to one Sonia Ballantyne, 
Um, I reached out to you guys because I knew yeah. I. Um, so related. Why would Sonia be here? So if you're watching Mrs. Doubtfire, there's a scene where uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is helping his daughter learn how to uh, practice her spelling for some reason. And in the background, you can see a Zoo TV era U2 poster, yeah. which made my little heart race when i saw it for the first time because i was like that scene that leo dicaprio meme like pointing and snapping pointing and snapping. so i'm here because on this day uh november 27th 1993 uh u2 recorded their zoo tv live from sydney uh which was originally filmed at this well, which was filmed at the sydney football stadium in sydney australia during the zoomerang leg of their zoo tv tour so it was i, um, I am so like i i was aware of the cultural impact of you 2 I'm hearing their music. I wasn't watching MTV just yet, and this zoo thing was so confusing, but it was yes. penetrative enough in the marketing. Like, I have a lot of vague memories of the, like, what was Zoo TV? So Zoo TV was U2's response to how much Bono hated the Joshua Tree because <laughs> it, Joshua Tree portrayed Bono as this like self-serious dude who was like Christian and like uh, he was married his childhood sweetheart. So he got embraced by the wrong sort of people basically. Mm. And so uh, after the success of the Joshua Tree, Bono wanted to do something different because he hated the idea of U2 becoming the Rolling Stones. So, like, I have, um, if I could read to you from my play, I have Bono, <laughs> and that basically ju justifies this thing, where he says that um, uh, he's talking about his initial response to why, like, what his work ethic is. And so he says, I was paranoid you two could fall for the entitlement we had heard of with 1970s rock bands who lost their songwriting chops but felt their very presence on stage was reason enough for the crowd to bow. We were going to stay students and refuse the invitation to be rock gods. Unless we could be ironic rock gods, which was the central motif of Zoo TV. So for those that don't know, Zoo TV was like an era of U2's U2 time in the early 90s where they completely threw away every single thing that made them popular in the 80s mm -hmm. to reinvent themselves in the 90s. And it's my favorite era of U2. Uh, Is that where you get like, uh, like Fly Bono and uh, uh, Fly Bono, where the, uh, the edge starts looking more and more uh, like Ali G. Yes, so it's like it's <laughs> yeah. like is fucking hilarious. Uh, when they filmed this concert, they faced a lot of difficulties in booking it because uh, they wanted to stage a worldwide television broadcast and to end the Zoo TV tour. So uh, the Sydney Cricket Ground Trust rejected their application to perform at the stadium because, like, it was going to be. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why, but Bono then said, like, "Well, if you guys are going to not let us play, how are you going to host the 2000 Summer Olympics?" And so. Uh, their management faxed every single person on the committee and basically the premier of new south wales finally said okay you guys can play here so tickets went on sale yeah. on august 23rd of that well, year we should explain yes. that yeah the zoo tv tour was a very large arena tour with a lot of media elements there's screens everywhere yes. there's lights there's literally cars, cars. hanging from the ceiling yeah <laughs> Yeah, and it was very, uh, it turned to stadiums when they got to Europe and to Australia. 
And so it became a bigger thing. It became larger. There was uh, during Mysterious Ways, there would be um, a belly dancer on stage with Bono who would like who later became Edge's wife, the guitarist. Hey, <laughs> and so, so it wasn't they all work. Tour. And so it's like, uh, so for the Zoo TV live from Sydney, they had two shows in Sydney that night. So on two consecutive nights, but on the first night, um, one of the band members, Adam Clayton, was too drunk to perform. He Whoa. was in an alcoholic blackout after about a week or so of heavily drinking, and he missed the show with his his bass guitar tech having to fill in for him. And the reason why this uh, this uh, this concert footage is so big in the YouTube community is because they were basically convinced that they were going to break up because mm. there was it came to the it came to a head because they were working so hard. Um, Bono and Edge were on their a completely different uh, plane, a creative plane from Adam and Larry, who is the drummer. And with Adam missing the show, which is the very first time that any member of the band since like the 70s missed the show, they legitimately thought they were going to break up. So when you watch the show, you can see Bono singing the final song, Love is Blindness, as if they it is going to be the last huh. performance of the band ever and so it was really heartfelt it was very um very sad to watch as well and like it was one of my i actually wore out the tape when i was a kid because <laughs> i watched it so much i have it on vhs i have it on dvd i don't have it on blu-ray yet but it was one of my favorite concert performances when i was in sydney i actually visited the stadium just to see where it was shot wow. and uh it was one of my favorite episodes or one of my favorite concert videos i still watch it to this day and it was one of the reasons when i was 14 i wanted to be the girl that bono pulls up on stage and slow dances with despite the fact that i am three inches taller than he is <laughs> so, but if you haven't seen it it is a really good concert video even if you don't like you too it's a really fun thing to watch to see what was going on in that time of the time in history because it begins with um triumph of the will and like all this like classical music Music and it's just a bombardment of noise and sound and visuals and it's just a fun watch to see because it's like it's really politically heavy as well and mm. just the music is really good because again like you two this is you two at the height of their powers and they are just amazing plus like bono at his most attractive so like, not that he was like yeah. I, like i had a bit of a crush on him when i was a kid but mostly because of the the fly era so I should have worn a non-Joshua Tree t-shirt, though. Also, it should be pointed out, uh, it grossed about as much as The Firm, the third highest grossing movie of... Of 1993, so like this was incredibly bankable. This is neither here nor there. Did you see the Sphere concert, Sonia? I am going to see the Sphere shows in uh, December for my birthday because they were playing Acton Baby, the album that wow. was the the album they were promoting Zoo TV with, and it is uh, the reason I bring up this. I talked to Diana about bringing it up is because. The Sphere shows are missing an integral member of U2, Larry Mullen Jr. So this is the second time that the band has played without its original uh, oh. its original format because uh, Larry had to have shoulder surgery and they couldn't postpone the shows anymore and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, I know it caused a big controversy in the U2 fandom because they're like, just make Larry play. Just give him <laughs> so, a drum machine. <laughs> 
everyone just like get him up there i want to see all four of them and i'm like it, it is very, it's a very controversial take in the youtube fandom because i'm like i would rather have a healthy larry that's playing in his 70s than have like him like because he already looks like he's in pain when he plays mm. i don't mm. want him to like have his arm fall off basically yeah. but i will be seeing the sphere shows in december so if you see me uh bring me a pizza slice because i'll be waiting in line to get in <laughs> so. yeah no i i went back and watched i did not end up watching this originally because i think it was pay-per-view and then yes. it, it came out on on uh tape originally it was like going to be live on a couple channels and they're like what are we doing let's pay-per-view this and it is interesting to see how this leads into all of the giant stadium shows that we're so used to seeing like it used to be when you had a stadium show there's going to be like fireworks yep. you know there's going to be big stuff in like the hair metal era and then when we have these like massive multimedia presentations that we have now with like dancers and stages at different levels and fire and britney spears and there's 80 britney spears all of a sudden and there's you know taylor swift is here and then she's flying it's like oh that's where this stuff comes from Okay. Yeah. And it also was really cool because they would have moments in the show where they would tone it down a little bit. So that's what the, it's something that they've continued to do where they have a B stage where they do like more hmm. acoustic -y things, where they do more low key things to give you a break from all the, the media and stuff. And so I imagine that's going to be a bigger thing with the sphere as well because I'm not spoiling myself for anything that's happening I, there. I saw footage of it. it it, that's the thing. It can't be. Everyone's experience in the sphere with you two can't really be conveyed in words or video, yes. but it looks insane. Like living in you two inside of your VR helmet. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's going to be so fun. I can't wait to throw up from motion sickness and like dancing. <laughs> and like it is like it's really funny to go. I saw Bono on his book tour when he was performing just in small theaters and stuff like that. And to go from that to the sphere is going to be very, very fun. So I'm like, I'm planning to t take some, uh, a jazz cigarette beforehand, maybe <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we'll see what happens. I might, I'm, I'm kind of convincing myself to go for another night just so like, cause I'm like, I want to see the sphere, but I also want to see the band. So, cause it's act on yeah. baby is my favorite album Mine too. and to hear them play it in full is going to be like it's basically uh i am basically um uh chris farley when he interviews paul mccartney like that'll be me that whole show. <laughs> so. yep. actually to tie this into a recent episode i actually grabbed a clip of one of those low-key acoustic moments to try to bring chris and jr back into this ever so slightly yes I didn't know that happened. He covered Lou Reed Satellite of Love. And Lou Reed comes up on the big wow. screen. Wow. Yes. Cool. Yeah. It was so fun to see that sort of thing. Like, because they would also have people like, um, uh, uh, like live via satellite in mm -hmm. every night. So like they would make uh, they would make crank calls to the uh, to the White House and stuff like that. Like <laughs> it was it was very bizarre. And I wish I was young and I uh, wish, wish I was old enough to have gone because mm -hmm. it would have been amazing. But I guess Sphere is going to be my suit TV. So it's interesting to think about that. It's not something we get to cover on thirty twenty ten. Uh, up. A historic live tour like uh there it's not just taylor swift it's it's it happens yeah. on occasion it's just not in my, it's not in my wheelhouse at all so but I, I think like shit the last time i remember diana going to see live music you're not going to not see you two if they're in town uh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I come through. Absolutely. <laughs> I will always see them. I have traveled to three different countries to see them on their 364. I like because I wasn't allowed to see them uh, beforehand because it was so expensive. Because you'd have to, I live in Winnipeg and they never play Winnipeg. And so <laughs> I would have to travel to see them. And so, like, to be like, it'll be, I am just going to go crazy. Like, I am already going crazy and it's a month away from when i go to the sphere so i hope like nothing gets in the way because i'm like damn it i this is gonna be my hour basically <laughs> so. well awesome i'm very glad you i can't believe you, you opted to join us for that because i again like hazy memories but there are a lot of zoo tv memories and i i couldn't even i didn't even know why when i saw it show up in the sheet and i'm like thank god i don't have to look into this sonia will be here to tell me because uh, it, 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 it i mean it would be hard it would be hard to read about and understand contextualize it so thank you so much sonia um let's go let's close out this segment well almost with a shitload of super nintendo games uh, a lot of stuff uh out to lunch is out as is Ram ranma half uh one half hard battle what yeah that was my first exposure to ranma it was yeah. in super nintendo power it was in nintendo power magazine i was like what is this and it was like my window into anime yeah that, that same here I, I first saw them it was the cabinet that replaced like street fighter mortal kombat Ron, uh, oh is this the new street fighter mortal kombat not quite but i'd never heard of it before and here we go. Uh, RoboCop. This is an interesting. RoboCop versus Terminator comes out on Super Nintendo right when wow. Terminator 2 comes out. How did it take you two years to make that game? What the, what what? the fuck? And it's a horrible game. Yeah. It is not a good game. It's not like they delayed it in order to make it good. No. I think they went like, ah, this Terminator 2 thing may be a success. Let's put uh, Ed, the intern, on it, and he can take as long as he wants. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, that was that was 1993 adapt adaptations and uh, other video games based on movies just didn't need to come out recently because things would last longer. Things yeah. lasted longer at the video store. And the biggest modern example of that though. we'll talk about in the final segment. A uh, funny story to say about that. I wasn't allowed to play that game because the cover scared my mom. So I wasn't allowed to play it. Uh, and it, it, like, you, got, you get rid of that devil game. I'm not letting you rent it. <laughs> simulta almost simultaneously, the more recent comic crossover, RoboCop versus Terminator, its game is out relatively on time and is better, he says with a shrug. Like, it's not great either, but uh, it, it he, what did you want? to play as either one? Yeah, or? I, think so. I think you're RoboCop killing Terminators. Also oh. out Tecmo Super Bowl, which even then... Turning up my nose at sports. Don't care at all, but it's apparently I great mean, if you like Tecmo. The original Tecmo on Nintendo mm -hmm. is a classic. Mm -hmm. Everyone I knew who had a Nintendo had that game, but they like never had a huge success after that. Uh, if you want to recapture the Tecmo Bowl feeling, highly recommend uh, Retro Bowl. It is like mm. the perfect spiritual successor to it. License this as well. Uh, very weird. The Lawnmower Man. That movie. Yes. That movie's insane, and it pioneered what we thought virtual reality and CG was supposed to be. And then it comes shittily, <laughs> limps onto Super <laughs> Nintendo. Uh, 
I didn't have any expectations. Whatever. Act Razor 2 comes out. Act Razor, I thought, was going to be a huge franchise because how fun that first one is. And even I didn't get around to Act Razor 2, but it kind of dies there. And uh, here you go, JR. Disney's Aladdin. A very yes. good game. Sorry, Superior I version. I played it. And I got to go with you, Chris. You're right. This actually is the better game. It's it's got. It's amazing. I it's, love that game. It's Capcom for fuck's sake. When they're on their role, they're much more competent developers, despite uh, the visual limitations. Clay Fighter is something I just can't believe existed. <laughs> can't... To go back to Aladdin real quick, though, um, I actually have great memories of that game. I love this. Love the the escape from the lava level mm-hmm. on SEN and. SNES. I love flying with Jasmine. It was also when I would smooch my uh, my young boyfriend when I was a kid what? while we were playing that game. Man, you were dating super uh, young. I hope he was, was age appropriate. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Clay Fighter is one of those games where it's totally of its moment, and there is no reason to play it in the modern day. In yeah. 1993, it was like, oh my gosh, look at these clay figures, because that was its whole gimmick. We're making claymation uh, fighter combat, and it was like, yeah, 1993, that was impressive. Right. Uh, this is the type of game you pull up for 45 seconds, maybe 50 seconds, and go like, okay, that was enough. Ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, and then last, and definitely leastly, Jurassic Park for Super Nintendo. Just, I so wanted there to be an yeah. amazing Jurassic Park game in 1993, and I never I got it. I like it, yeah. yeah I remember being disappointed. There's so many, and they're they're all different, and they're all not great. What can you tell us about the only comic book of 30 years ago, JR? I'm a man. So, this is The Billionaire of Dismal Downs by Don Rosa. This is part of his Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck, which mm-hmm. is the magnum opus of Scrooge McDuck. If you want to know Scrooge McDuck's life story, and you should because it's amazeballs, that's the series you should read. Uh, this is the one when he goes home to his ancestral home in Scotland after becoming a billionaire, fails to reconnect with his family because he's been gone for 30 years and realizes that his life is no longer in Scotland. He's got to go back to America and Duckburg. And his father dies. It is oh. like the most un-Disney death I have ever seen in any Disney media. Um, he doesn't fall from a cliff. He, he doesn't pass away off screen. You see Scrooge McDuck's father die, and it's a very, very moving, touching scene. Don Rosa is a genius. He captured the character of Scrooge McDuck amazingly. I encourage you to Steal. buy <laughs> this series on Amazon because the price is only going to go up because Disney has canceled it they have yeah. they have said we will never reprint this series it. because well i am i should have triple checked this i was astonished i was going through targets not long for this world physical media section there was a hundred dollar donald duck comic book and it does contain car many eras of duck comics and it does have a slice of don rosa in it but that's the closest this has come to being republished. And it, I don't know that it's this story or even part of life and times of Scrooge McDuck, but Don Rosa is represented, but that is it. And it's a hundred fucking dollars. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, uh, I really wanted it. And like hundred bucks, Jesus uh, moving on to the music of 1993. You thought we did that already. No, that was in our TV section. 
Um, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. My meatloaf is still number one. Uh, new releases this week for uh, November 24th to the 30th include Duets by Elton John. Uh, it is what it says in the package. Uh, Ear to the Street by The Conscious Daughters. Dreams Never Die by Tiffany. Always and Forever by Eternal. Winter Light by Linda Ronstadt. And No Need for Alarm by Dell, the funky homo sapien. Um, we're going to close out with Gangsta Lean by DRS. Because I think, as far as I can tell, this is the first slow jam in memorial of my homies that ever made oh, the top ten. I love sad <laughs> homie songs. Uh, sad homie music. It's one of my favorite sub-sub-sub-genres. The video for it, is it in black and white? Yes. Are people very sadly pouring out malt li- liquor for their homies? You better believe oh, it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I don't have malt liquor. I was pouring something out, though. <laughs> it took me back so fast. Like, oh, 93. God damn it. Uh, we'll close out with that, but don't go anywhere. We got more 30 20, 10 right after this. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. The 1980s were the golden age of mean hard R comedies. I think I was remembering my sanitized commercial television viewings because, like, Beverly D'Angelo's naked for, like, no I, reason, and I totally forgot I about that. I had forgotten all about that because yeah. th- that shocked me, too. I was like, wait a minute. she We see her boobies a couple of times. I don't remember that. This might be a fact. This is the fourth National Lampoon movie? I yes. was shocked to find that out because there's two I have never seen or heard of there, in between Animal yeah, House. Two that are kind of lost. One of them's called uh, National Lampoon Goes to the Movies. And Class then, Reunion. Hmm, Class Reunion. Yeah, that's right. I think this is the last movie that where it's clearly defined. Like, Harold Ramis is involved in this in some way. Like, we have some DNA of people who yeah. worked in National Lampoon magazine. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of like anything goes. Now well, it's kind it, of like stoner frat comedies, but not always. They, it's really they, the company doesn't exist, and they sold the I name. Think- to put on shitty movies that are like already being made, I believe, and they just okay. they'll affix the National Lampoons. I guess the R is for the, the magazine's reputation itself. It was pretty hmm. fucking edgy for for its time. Get bonus time, a weekly uncensored and commercial free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just five dollars on patreon.com slash laser time. Coming in uh, 2003 with Pass the Dutch by uh, Missy Elliott off of This Is Not a Test. That's not important right now. What is important, I gotta lightly thank Caleb a long time ago. He sent me a sealed VHS copy of We're Back, A Dinosaur Story 
with an accompanying Roll Back the Rock John Goodman single on cassette. Still sealed. You're, yeah, be jealous. <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. Um, I forgot I had that. Um, welcome to 2003, November 24th to the 30th. Sonia's back with us. Hey, Sonia. Uh, other new music releases this week include Shut Up by Kelly Osbourne. Dedicated, I had that album. Yeah, <laughs> dedicated by Lamar. Turn Around by Westlife. Life of Display by Puddle of Mud. And Seven by Enrique Iglesias. Bad Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul is still number one. News from 20 years ago. India accepts Pakistan's offer for a ceasefire in Kashmir. I would not have remembered that. Good for them. Again? Um, Or, yeah, just the latest. So, once both India and Pakistan got nukes, the threat of Kashmir became exponentially more dangerous. Mm -hmm. But, paradoxically, it also calmed down because of that danger. The two states have gone to war multiple times before they had nukes. But once they got nukes, it was like, oh, if we go to war this time, We'll all die. Yep. It's the end of Butter <laughs> Battle Book just right there for you. <laughs> um, and uh, also in the news, happier news, Danny Elfman marries Bridget Fonda, and they are still together to this day. Happy I, anniversary. Every now and then I see someone's like, what happened to Bridget Fonda? I was like, she's fine. Oh, it's they're pretty mean <laughs> about it because she, she does look different now. But it's so, been 20 years. So, so, do, yeah. so do all of us. So we shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So do you. Do you think you look as good as you did 20 years ago? Um, ask your spouse, I bet. The, uh, <laughs> oh. Movies of so 2003. You look as good as you do 20 years ago. Aww. 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 Um, she, I'm just kidding. She never listens to the show. <laughs> <laughs> 2003 movies, uh, November 24th to the 30th. Cat in the Hat is still number one because there's no justice in the world. Uh, also out this week, Patricia Clarkson, Oliver Platt, Derek Luke, Katie Holmes, and Pieces of April. I can't tell if that's a movie or my girlfriend's aim handle. but <laughs> It is an incredible movie. This may be my favorite Thanksgiving film of all oh. time. Wow. Why would they call it? P- okay, April's got to be the name of the character. April is the name of the character. It is an incredible moving drama about this 21-year-old living by herself in a skeezy part of New York, trying to put on her very first Thanksgiving because her mother is dying of cancer. But But. she and her mother have never gotten along. They have constantly fought their entire lives. That is such a real relationship. Uh, So my daughter just recently turned 13, and her and my wife are fighting like cats and dogs lately it is just mm-hmm. youch yep. and the emotions that you can see the, both of these characters have gone through it's so well done it's so moving you can feel the heartbreak in this film and it ends on such a pitch perfect note mm. uh, this is my biggest recommend really? of the week by far sure by far. Wow. Oh, okay yeah. right. i I'd always heard good. I did not get around to it. I also thought that it starred Christina Ricci because Katie Holmes is very gothed up on the poster. And I yeah. thought she was Christina Ricci. <laughs> I feel stupid now. And I knew she wasn't in it because then I would have seen it. Uh, yeah. it it's yeah. based on the writer's own experience of his own mother dying from cancer. So it's coming from a very honest, true place. And there's not that many Thanksgiving movies yeah. you could watch a christmas movie 365 days of the year try 
going the entire month of November with Thanksgiving movies and you're going to mm. end by by the first week and this is one of the amazing ones. I know you planes, trains and automobile fans out there will shout me down. This is a little more adult, but there's still a lot of humor mm. and just gosh darn so much heart. Huge huge recommend. Um, I yeah, I think I will watch this while I am cooking Thanksgiving. I think that's <laughs> you a should. Time. You should. I'm in, that's charge, the... I'm in charge of mashed potatoes this year, so I'm going to have <laughs> plenty of time to just watch things while I'm mashing. <laughs> and it is so funny watching it as a forty-something person remembering your early twenties and being like, "Oh yeah, I didn't know you had to defrost a turkey." <laughs> <laughs> Up next is a fascinating film. Uh, uh, Rosario Dawson, right. Steve Zahn, <laughs> Hank Azaria, Chloe Seventy, Peter Sarsgaard. And the only other triumph I've seen from Hayden Christensen ever, uh, Shattered Glass, the story of yep. journalist uh, some Mr. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Glass. Stephen Glass, Glass the uh, New, New York Republic. All right, everyone back up because a professional journalist is here to talk about this. Um, so this this movie, yeah, this is the one you point to when people are like, Hayden Christensen can't act like watch, watch Shattered Glass. He's yeah. fucking great. It. And it's a fucking great movie and everyone should watch it because it is based on a true story of this guy, Stephen Glass, who's like just out of college and he wants to be a big you know journalist. He gets a job at the New Republic where he's the youngest guy there. And he writes these big stories that get lots of attention. Because he's a compulsive liar. He is making them up. He is not just making up little things or plagiarizing here and there. He is just making up entire things out of whole cloth. Yep. People, and, people quotes. Uh, yeah. 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 People, quotes, uh, events, everything. And he'll describe them. He'll describe that they were in a hotel lobby and this happened and that happened. He gets caught because one of his competitors' editor is like, why didn't you break this story? And they're like, well, let me look into it. Oh, this big fancy uh, tech company doesn't have a website. Even in 1998, they should have a website. And then all this is like, oh, no, I found the website. It's a fucking AOL members page. Uh... (laughs) This is such a memorable film for me because typically this story of a journalist, a small moment of journalism is told as a tale of triumph. You don't Mm -hmm. see many things told like... Not a terrible dude, but like a guy who made like compounding mistakes and it's slowly unraveling in a real life thing that jeopardized the credibility of one of the most respected rags in American history. And this this came at a really interesting time when this released because it's only a couple months after the Jason Blair story broke at the New York Times, which I thought I put in the news and I guess I missed it. But in 2003, in May, the story broke that there was a guy at the New York Times who had moved up from intern to reporter during the Beltway shootings because he was from the area. They brought him up to the big leagues and he did the same thing. He just fucking lied. He just made shit up or he plagiarized. He made up quotes. He made up, oh, oh no, I'm going to go down to vi- Virginia to visit the parents and then wrote about like, oh, they live on the simple farm with the cows out front. It's like, no, they fucking don't. They live in a suburb. What the fuck are you talking about? And it was the same thing of like having to go back through and be like, how did this get through? And how betrayed everyone feels but it's interesting in this one because it's like they all like him they Mm -hmm. like him as a person this isn't personal and he thinks it's personal he's constantly asking are you mad at me are you mad at me and they're like 
No, no, no. I'm just going to double check this one thing. Oh my god, you fucking piece of shit. You are a compulsive liar. And the, the, the one thing that is missing from this movie is one of his co-workers screaming at him. Because that is how a real journalist feel. I mean, When that's... there is someone who is cheating to be where you are, we take that real fucking seriously. Because mm. it just... It ruins everything for everyone. People already don't trust the media. They already think we make shit up. They already think we spin things and lie. And uh, generally, no. Print journalists in particular take that shit real seriously. You don't make up quotes. I mean, <laughs> you I, will call someone and double check and make sure. Does this sound like something you would say? The most Did unforgettable scene is Peter Sarsgaard just losing it. Like, uh, what? I, ha I haven't done anything wrong. Stop saying that. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a pretty compelling. And I just, there, I don't know anything else like this. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's like all the president's men in reverse. Yeah. Of them putting the story together piece by piece. And this is about piece by piece realizing they're, and then first they're like, oh, well, he got conned. Maybe he had a bad source who lied to him. But even with that, like out, he kind like, no, it still doesn't make any sense. Are you sure you went to this, you, you went to this restaurant with this with these people yeah and you had dinner yeah that restaurant closes at 3 p.m we showed up at 258 and... <laughs> and it's like he has to keep lying and i love they also never give him a sad backstory mama never loved me and daddy hit me no he just does this because he wants the job and he just lies and he thinks everyone lies but they don't yeah shattered glass <laughs> Fucking great movie. Shard Glass. But uh, yes. Uh, next up, we have Eric uh, Schwig, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, <laughs> Kate Blanchett, and Tommy Lee Jones in The Missing. And I feel like this title is missing a word. The Missing What? <laughs> Girls? Uh, yeah. So I'm here also. Like, I was only going to stick around for you too, but I was like, Native people, I am here. I have a massive love for Eric Schrig. He is like, every time you need a scary native guy to look menacing, you get him. Mm -hmm. uh, and he is always like, if you think of every scary native guy in a movie, like Tom and Hawk, that's where a movie, he it is Eric Schwig. And so this movie I actually enjoy because it is like, there's parts of it that of course are terrible. Like, um, but I think the biggest success of it is they have Tommy Lee Jones, it, who is the closest looking to native American without actually being native American. <laughs> like they brown him up and length and put hair extensions on him. And he looks like my grandpa. <laughs> and so this movie is about uh, this uh, Kate Banchette plays uh, this fine, frontier woman whose daughter goes missing and her estranged father comes to help her look for her daughter and uh tommy lee jones has been adopted into a native community uh and he uh is told we find it in the movie that he is told by a medicine man that he has to make right with his daughter for him to get over an illness that he has and so one of my favorite parts of this movie is um Native people love to get like well specifically Cree people. I'll speak to my for my my own culture. Swampy Cree people love to give people names, and you would think as like non natives like it would be like uh, running wind, running water, mm -hmm. like something beautiful. Uh, in his case, his name was made as a joke, and his name in the movie translates to shit for brains <laughs> and that is like no. <laughs> i remember laughing my ass off because that is the sort of name we would give our families like like i have a, a family member whose name was rusty chisk which basically means dirty ass and so like <laughs> and stuff like that like so i was like oh so they knew some native people when they wrote this so like mm. they, it, it's 
fall to some like of the the standard like pitfalls of a native movie uh, like it, it like there's good native americans that work with tommy lee jones and there's the bad native americans that eric schwig plays um uh, it's basically like Bone Tomahawk in that case, so mm. that they can make the bad guys the native people. And Eric Schwick is very terrifying in this movie. He plays mm. um, basically a witch doctor. And so he is, uh, like, people are terrified of him. Uh, he kidnaps a bunch of women to basically sell them to Mexico. Um, so, and um, Kate Blanchett's daughter, played by Evan Rachel Wood, is one of the women they want to sell. And so Tommy Lee Jones helps Kate Blanchett go look for her and drama ensues basically yeah it's it's a very it, first of all it's shocking that it's directed by ron howard this is like the yes. least ron howard movie ever it's a very formalized old-fashioned western it is kind of like the best movie in 1956 <laughs> but but you get to see but there's more violence and that's kind of the biggest difference and it does have more respect for the native people in it they're not just naturally bad you know inherently bad they're they're just kind of crazy and greedy and weird that's sort yes. of their thing and uh, just looking into it and finding out like they actually spent the time to have a lot of dialogue in chiricahua apache which like 300 people speak <laughs> and they taught tommy lee jones his lines like he's got a decent amount of dialogue in apache he's like well that's pretty cool it's also i mean it's really pretty because it's supposed to be like new mexico so they're in the desert they're in the mountains they're everywhere in between I, yeah, I was really surprised by like, wow. I mean, I'm a fan of Western, so that's true. But by, by 2000s, we were, if you weren't doing full on revisionism, I guess mm -hmm. besides open range, like there weren't a lot of Westerns. And this is like a mm -hmm. really good classic style Western. Yeah. In the same kind of vein as like Bone Tomahawk, like it has violence, but it yeah. also has that old timey Western vibe. Yeah. It's like the plot setup is kind of the searchers, but with a different. The racism goes in a different direction than just like, well, yeah. she's turned Indian now. We better kill her. Like, yeah, no. like uh, Evan Rachel Wood is actually, um, she like her alerting the bad natives is what gets one of the good natives killed uh, because she like um, she shows up. Uh, the the guy can't speak English, like, and so he's trying to find her daughter, and so he's showing pictures of Kate Blanchett and like her other like her other daughter, and basically trying to say like, is this your sister? Like, is this is this your family? And Evan Rachel Wood's character is like, what the hell have you done to my family? Starts screaming, mm -hmm. alerts the bad natives, and the guy dies. And the girl that he was rescuing, his like, I think it's his daughter or his like his son's soon to be wife starts mm. screaming at her in Apache. Like, this is your fault. This is your fault. Like he died. Be he, he was going to save me, but you killed him. And so it's yeah. like, it was one of those movies. I was just like, yeah, native people get to like fuck things up. Yeah. Like this actually, so you I and your that. stupid fucking racism. We could have all just escaped, <laughs> but no, but yeah, Don yeah. Lee Jones is a native person. Like, even though technically he's not a native person, he was just adopted by the culture uh so like he's allowed he gets indian privileges like a, a cool name but like i was so surprised i'm like man he really does look like my grandpa like with the huge nose and stuff i'm like okay ron howard you got me you scally way yeah yeah good good movie to watch with your dad now it's the holidays ron Dad's howard's like, king of the dad movies right? still is yeah. undisputed king of the dad movies um mm. I can't think of a movie that arrived so at the right time I needed it than our next one. 
Um, <laughs> I was not the nostalgic, mushy, Christmas-loving person. I was in my early 20s and very sick of that. And right away, just the perfect antidote at that time. Uh, John Ritter, Lauren Graham, Bernie Mac, Tony Cox, and Billy Bob Thornton in Bad Santa. This holiday season, everyone is talking about... I'm on my lunch break, okay? Oh, no. The funniest comedy of the year. I said next. Probably shouldn't be digging in you. Bad Santa is achingly funny. Got some lip on you, Mitchell. These lips were on your wife. Astonishingly irreverent. Last night. The man's a sexual being. It's a must-see film for anyone who loves to laugh. Love large women. Can't do squat about that, Jack. Bad Santa. Made it on. Now play. I can't. Oh, yeah, so weird. <laughs> Finally, a Christmas movie for me, from my knees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Drunk and angry. This is my first time watching this. And oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Wow, 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 wow. It is rare that you come across a genuinely horrible character mm -hmm. in cinema who doesn't become a good person, but becomes slightly less worse. Yeah. That's it. He becomes slightly less worth. He is still absolutely a horrible human being at the end of it. But progress is progress, yo. He yeah. It's like the, the free lottery ticket version of redemption. Just a, <laughs> just a real mild win for Billy Bob Thornton. And apparently pretty method, according to Swagoff. <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton was going through a very bad time, openly drunk, belligerent, and angry, and... He said one of the worst experiences of his life. Uh, <laughs> what I've heard working with Billy Bob in a lot of ways. Yeah. God damn. I, this is a movie that's so mean that it, it does kind of boggle my mind that it exists. And uh, it's, yeah, it's written by the guys who did uh, I Love You, Philip Morris also, which is a movie but, I but fucking But comes loved. from the Coen brothers, like uh, abandoned yes. Coen brothers project. Uh, I'm, I, they, I wish they did more interviews because I would love to know why because I'm not sure they could do something this cruel but uh, yeah I wonder what that would have looked like I, I don't know I think one thing is they, they wanted to have a more conventionally cute kid mm -hmm. and I, I kind of love that I love yeah, this kid. it's all about I love him that he is uh, this kid who is just every kind of loser put together. Yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, not an ideal body shape, neuro atypical, My hair. emotional issues, intellectual issues, uh, under the control of a grandma who's not even all there herself. All of that works. All of that just makes it that much sweeter yeah. when he starts being slightly less of a jerk. At no point does he actually be like genuinely, truly a nice guy to this kid. It's just like, wow, you are slightly less an asshole. It's this the not even funny melancholy of this kid. This thinking this is well, this is the Santa I deserve. Uh, I'm not going to get a good one. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, the basic plot, if you haven't seen this, and you really should, is that uh, yeah, uh, Billy Bob is a mall Santa uh, who goes around with Tony Cox, who's, you know, a little person. So he's like the little, you know, he's one of the elves. And then they go to do their Santa thing at a store every Christmas and then rob the place blind. Yep. <laughs> a great little heist movie yep. set at Christmas. And at when this came out, I watched this constantly. I loved it. And now I just don't have a lot of desire for a cynical anti-Christmas movie. So it doesn't make it in my rotation, but 
I know plenty of people. You're not an edgelord 20-year-old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I I didn't seek this out, and I wouldn't have sucked this out if it wasn't for the show, but I'm still glad I saw it for the first time. It was like, I can't believe they went there, and that still has some joy. Seeing people go somewhere you are genuinely shocked they're willing to go still has some appeal in the And it, it got... Great reviews. That was, I think, the most astounding thing. I just remember NPR losing its shit over this movie. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> it, it was just something we, it's not only something we'd never seen before, it's something you never thought could exist. And Like, who would greenlight this in a simpler studio time? And here we are. Uh, I, yeah, it's, I want to say I love it. It's only marred slightly by a very bad and cynical sequel. But uh, mm. yeah, this yep. never bothered. I've never bothered with the sequel. I love uh, one paper brought a really good point. That it's the evil twin of Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> <laughs> like that is exactly right. It is just sort of Miracle on 34th Street. But Santa's not the real Santa. Santa's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's another like each segment has something I consider like an all time revisitable classic. And here you go. Uh, the bad Santa cannot say the same for the next film. Although Fuck this movie. I watched a couple of clips and I really like liked it. Marsha Thomason, Wallace Shawn, inconceivable, uh, Terrence Stamp, uh, and Eddie Murphy in the first Disney's the haunted mansion. Walt Disney pictures welcomes you to the Gracie Manor. Hello. Do you believe in ghosts? How's that? Stay calm. I love the singing statue sequence. They look great. Uh, this movie is fantastically expensive. It costs ninety million dollars. Jesus so does Christ! It, does it Jesus. look pretty? Yeah, no. it does. Well, okay. I mean, it, I mean, it looks it's expensive. Two thousand three CGI at times, where I'm just yeah. rolling my eyes. They have some decent sets. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And- so it looks like it costs a bunch of money. And did they spend? Like Eddie Murphy, I don't remember which special it was, but he had a whole bit about why you don't see black people in haunted house movies. And then he makes a, a very bad haunted house movie where, yes, the he, it's, oh, he's a dad who doesn't pay attention to his kids. And, oh, he missed a big recital or game or whatever because he's just so busy. The setup to every shitty family movie ever. And then they end up at his haunted mansion. And it's like, yeah, it shows up. It's spooky. Yeah, you're supposed to leave now. You don't need this. <laughs> you don't need this shit. But no. I've never seen well, it, but it's gets kidnapped, ride, so right? he's trapped. Yeah. I was hoping. Yeah. I was hoping yes, so. it is based on the ride. It is the second movie based on a ride in 2003. One of them <laughs> succeeded way beyond expectations. Yeah. And the one that should have been easier to pull off is a fucking disaster. I hate this movie so much. Yeah, I the, is the, the haunted ride ride the Haunted Mansion ride is a thing of great beauty, and I'm really glad it exists in the world. That is one of the best theme park rides of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got so much depth in it. It's got so many interesting little stories if you go down the rabbit hole of the Haunted Mansion ride lore. And, and, and yet I believe I love saying movies have I, lo- I love saying it's the closest thing we have to a global haunted house. 
Like no matter uh, where you are on the planet, there is a version of this with the same stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't all have the same stuff in it. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. They, yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> but they do. They don't all have the same stuff in it. The, the one in China is radically different because ghosts are, it's a different kind of thing. The right, but they still have the same you know, illusion. Ancestor veneration. Uh, the one in France yeah. is crazy. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is so much it darker. It was so fun and so freaky. I loved it. Like, I only recently became a Disney person. Um, I love the theme parks. Um, after I made a lightsaber at Galaxy's Edge, I am a Disney adult. Like, oh I will admit <laughs> that. <laughs> but I really like the Haunted Mansion because it was it works on, like, levels that, like, everybody can enjoy it because yep. kids are a little bit scared while they're on it and adults like it because it's, like, it's cool when the, when the ghosts are dancing. Yeah. That was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I was like, oh, that's amazing. I don't know why they can't make a good movie of that. It's, like the experience of going the through the house. Key to the ride is it's haunted, but all the ghosts are nice. They Well, <laughs> it's the hamp happy haunting. That's the thing. Yeah. The ghost on the haunted mansion ride are happy to be there. The the weirdest thing about these adaptations, only the Muppets have nailed it. <laughs> we didn't get to see Guillermo <laughs> del Toro's version of the movie, which was supposed to happen. I think I, I was reading a little bit about it, and you know, younger people have a completely different appraisal of this film because this, not unlike Hocus Pocus, like spooky kids didn't have a lot, and it's kind of endeared to them. The new one didn't seem to fare much better critically or commercially, uh, but yeah, the Muppets one right there in the middle is fucking great. The great representation of happy hauntings and what makes the ride really special. And uh, I didn't see the new one, but according to Matt, a huge haunted, and Matt Allen, a VGA, it contains way more references to the rides where there's, it does. I did see the new one mm-hmm. and it just did not engage me. It was just yeah. like, okay, I get that reference. I'm glad you make made it, but I'm not being drawn in by these characters. I'm not being drawn in by this plot line. So you're failing that as a movie. Seems to be the consensus. Think- like you get a lot, a lot of a sugar high for Disney adults, but not a lot for film fans. And this one may be a yeah, better I film. Think, yeah, I think why the theme park ride works so well is because it could be anybody that's going through that ride. And mm-hmm. I think the problem with like trying to capture it on film is that you have to create you, like an, uh, an audience surrogate that is like a, and so like creating an audience surrogate just seems kind of like bland to follow for a while. Yep. If that makes sense. So yeah, like I think that's why they fail. Cause like the, the idea of a haunted house, like kids love scary yeah. things. So like it surprises me that kids content directed at kids that are, is about horror. It never takes off because like, I, I guess people are either pussyfoot around it and don't make it as scary as yeah. the kids want Get skittish. or they just, yeah, they make a candy corn basically like it's baby <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think another part of it was you get Eddie Murphy in this and you have, people our age wanting and i don't want to see eddie murphy in this kids movie (laughs) eddie murphy fans were not satisfied or pleased either but it does younger people who don't have any of that baggage seem to dig it i'm not a huge fan i can't believe why did you release this you couldn't release this a month ago what what Mm -hmm. is wrong with you disney uh let's move on to tv because why not because just shoot me ends, and I know we're all devastated. This this show that oh lasted gosh. seven seasons and made multiple very talented people millionaires, I'm sure we all have positive memories of, right? The <laughs> only thing 
I remember about this show anymore is the Onion article. Okay, you can look <laughs> it up. It's called Just Shoot Me Writer Assumes Everyone He Meets Watches Just Shoot Me. And it's <laughs> hilarious. It's all about this guy who's a writer on the show, and he just goes into bars, and he refers to Just Shoot Me as JSM. And it's just like, no one calls it that. <laughs> I would never know what you're talking about. Uh, my only memory of the show is one episode. This might take you back to another time. I was a huge fan of Mr. Show. Mr. Show went off the air. HBO stopped airing it. And for a while, that was all you could do with the TV show. It would just go away. So I had to buy compilation tapes put together by someone on eBay where HBO was not enforcing its copyright at all. In order for this one seller to make his his version superior, it contained a third tape of all of Bob and David's guest appearances on other things. Very weird. By that, I mean full episode, the full episode of Seinfeld with Bob Odenkirk in it, and the full episode with David Cross, who was pretending to be mentally challenged. Oh. And it for Jess Shoot Me, I think he said, you know, I make before Arrested Development, like this is what I was shouted. I was shouted lines from Jess Shoot Me on the street. That's where people recognize me. Chicken pot pie. Um, kind of famous for Just Shoot Me fans. Anyway, moving on. Time Squad ends as well. A show from 2001. I don't know anything about Time Squad. Uh, oh, basically, it's Time Cops. Um, <laughs> Paul Anderson's Time Patrol series was written in the 1950s, and it's all about uh, policemen pulled from various time periods whose sole job is to keep the integrity of the time stream. And that has been such a wellspring of ripoffs ever since then. Loki! <laughs> but no one's ever adapted it. And I just wish someone would do those stories because they're really amazing and really well thought out of. And this show is none of those things. Wait, Mark Hamill was on it? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think he was the robot. Robot. Yeah, it was a cute, you know, little kids show. It had a, a fun sort of 60s retro design to it. And they would, Loki. you know, <clears throat> history stuff. Yeah. Um. Yes, and more, much more in my wheelhouse. Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Fred Aliens. I said yeah. my dad's owned the dealership this week and last week. I don't know why it's become one of the more enduring lines that helps me <laughs> helps me describe so well Fail Sons and Nepo Babies. Pat Nozzle's <laughs> my dad owns the dealership guy. Uh, and JR, do you have the, what's the setup for this clip we got from it? Uh, this is my favorite line in all of Aqua Teen uh, <laughs> Hunger Force history. This Great. is the line Ooh. which, no matter how many times I hear it, I just absolutely crack up about it. And uh, for whatever reason, it has stuck with me throughout the years, and I often <laughs> think about it. I think you might have me confused with a woman. Oh, she burned you, dude! Oh, so you couldn't get into a sorority? I'm a man, all right? This is beat total sausage party. Uh... I think. But we're out of here. Come on, DP, let's go. But what else is open besides your mouth when you're, like, kissing on some gay dude and, like, holding his, like, muscles because his arms just are, like, wrapped around you and you feel, like, so safe because you're, like, you know, not that you're gay or nothing, but, God, you just want to, like, bury yourself in his chest and just live there forever. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. 
But yeah, the frat aliens are perfect Aqua Team Hunger Force villains. They reappear a couple of times. Mm -hmm. They're always assholes. One of them keeps talking about, you know, my dad owns a car dealership, and he's going to be so pissed if he hears about this. And they are perfect foils uh, for Master Shake and company. I say it every time I see the Trump sons, like... (laughs) Dad owns the dealership. <laughs> Dad owns a dealership. Hey, is there is there a guy on your lawn passed out? Yeah, it looks like he's dead. Well, if he wakes up, make him drink. <laughs> uh, also this week, the TV movie Stealing Christmas with Tony Danza, Leah Thompson, and Angela Gothels. 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 Yeah. God, here come the TV movies. Who cares? The biggest one, and this is like, we just talked about Old Boy. Irrespective of the South Korean film movement rising, I need to find more information on this. This was lost media until like two years ago. MTV premieres a localized version of a two-year-old South Korean movie called Volcano High. It alters the soundtrack with uh, hip-hop and creates a new dub Featuring Outkast, both Big Boy and Andre 3000, Maya, Snoop Dogg, Lil Jon, and Tracy Morgan. I don't know that you have always wished to hear Lil Jon and Tracy Morgan dub a martial arts comedy, but it's amazing. It's fucking amazing and had been totally lost to time because obviously there's rights issues involved with the original film and this dub and... It was not much beloved, but it's it was, was something a few years ago people were scouring to try and find. So you can finally watch it on one of those sub YouTube video sites. It has been found, but like it's totally lost. <laughs> what one of the weirdest things I've ever heard of last minute on the show. I have never heard of this. This is amazing nope. and we Me should either. have more of these. Yeah, I, I wanted so desperately to play you a clip. But it doesn't work because all you hear is Tracy Morgan, not the small wayfish Asian person he's dubbing, which is inherently hysterical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> lastly, in games or game, but it's a big one. Max Payne 2, the fall of Max Payne. Kind of the last the last remedy Max Payne game, right? Because the third one is not developed with the originally the Alan Wake people. Max Payne, the, the not inventor, but like popularizer of actual bullet time in a game. Slow down time, dive through the air, shoot with both hands. Very, very cool to do in a game. Max Payne 2, ladies and gentlemen. So I wish I had more to say about it, but um, I just remember, I'm the only person who remembers the movie and how much I hate it. It's very bad. I saw it. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why you take a game about shooting people to death and green light a PG movie out of it. That seems a little silly, uh, but they did, and it's awful. And uh, we'll close out this segment with Puddle of Mud away from me because Diana hates us. And <laughs> but don't go anywhere. We got to talk about one of my just favorite mainstream phenomenons of the last ten years when we get when we get back. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch. And for the week of November 24th through 30. Yeah, I don't like recommending movies I haven't seen, but I haven't seen this movie because I am a giant chicken and I am afraid of the works of Alejandro Jodorowsky based entirely on the works of Alejandro Jodorowsky. 
I, everything I've seen of his, I've loved. I, I appreciate the filmmaking, but I have not watched The Holy Mountain because uh, there's some like crazy shit in there. And I've never been quite in the right headspace. Also, it's produced by John Lennon and Yoko Ono, which, cool. Just because they're like, well, that guy's fucking nuts and he's doing art that makes people uncomfortable. Here's some money. Go do stuff. I guess it's about a guy who represents, like, people are tarot cards, uh, but they're, and they're having interactions. And look, I don't know if it's got bleeding elephants in it. It's just like, there was a movie I saw about it, and I'm just, I've never been able to handle uh, Joe Dorsky because it's uh, it can be pretty extreme and extremely surreal. But that turns 50 this week, 1973. The movie I absolutely will recommend because we're on a roll with these. Talked about Tokyo Story, one of the best movies ever made a couple weeks ago. We have another candidate. One of the best movies ever made turning 75 this week is Bicycle Thieves, a.k.a. Bicycle Thief, a.k.a. Laudry de Bicicleta. They've changed the title sort of over time. Like, it literally was always Bicycle Thieves, but for some reason it was known as Bicycle Thief, singular for a long time. Anyway, directed by Victoria De Sica, Italian neorealist masterpiece of just like, I feel like I'm just dropped into these guys' lives. And it's about a guy who's just looking for work and he gets a job where he's got to like put up posters and he needs a bicycle so he can move faster. And some motherfucker steals his bicycle. And it's just about him and his little son trying to get a bicycle back and all the different problems they run into. And it's neorealism at its finest, where you just feel like you're just watching a slice of someone's real life, but it's moving, it's beautifully shot. You, there's a certain amount of like episodicness to it, but not really. Mostly it's just sort of feels like you want to know what's going to happen next. So from 1948, Bicycle Thieves. Also short. <laughs> it is a 90 minute movie. Uh, it lasts exactly how long it needs to. There is no padding. There is no time for everybody's backstory. It is just, here's this slice of life, and there you go. Bicycle Thieves from 1948, and that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2013 with Work Bitch by Britney Spears off of Britney Jean. Uh, yes, that is uh, her words, not mine. You can go about your professional career as diligently as you want to, and I don't think you're a bitch. Um, welcome to 2013, 10 years ago. Hope you're having a happy turkey daytime. Uh, we lost Sonia, but I'm sure she'll chime in at the end because she wants to tell you about a documentary. New releases in music 2013, November 24th to the 30th, also include Knock Madness by Hopspin, a self titled album by Danielle Bradbury. Uh, Midnight Memories by One Direction and Oblivion Hymns by Hammock. Royals by Lord is still number one. A uh, little, little bit of news to bring you into the whatever world of 2013. Uh, Greece becomes the first developed market to be demoted uh, into an emerging market by the MC MSCI Index. Wow. Oh. Yeah. The, there is no finish line. For countries, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, Argentina was a rich country 80 years ago, and oh. now it's not. Uh, you don't get to stay wealthy forever if you go down a bad path. And, I've never uh, heard of an Greece empire today, falling. Uh -uh. Greece today is still 25% poorer than it was before the 2008 uh, Great Recession. Hmm. Jeez Louise. 
Mm. Um, and then <laughs> I'm sad to inform you, Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore 10 years ago have divorced. They were married in 2005. What a silly relationship that I think we all, all of us wanted. <laughs> I mean, really, wow. I think the big thing they got was that he was younger and she was older. And the reverse genders yeah. is really what is common in pretty much every society. So I am curious, what is the longest lasting May-December romance in Hollywood where the December is female and the May hmm. male is May? Probably mm. some gay guy. <laughs> mm. I don't yes. know. Yes, who's got a boy toy? Good question. I don't know. Yeah. Whoever, a boy toy I for life. Know. That's a different question. Whoever yes. Pete Davidson is dating right now? Perhaps. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a good answer. <laughs> uh, but uh, let us know, listeners. Uh, bandy that one about because that's a. It is so uncommon. I literally cannot think of another one. And mm. May, December, with a guy being younger. Uh, fifth annual Never Not Funny podcast, uh, uh, podcastathon. We got we to gotta mention it because uh, in honor of It's Me, Sarah, she has died on yep. the show. Uh, she's very much nope. alive in real life. Uh, it raises $130,000, one of uh, podcastery's first um, charity drives. And do we want to save this for the deaths or is it newsworthy? No, this no, this was definitely newsworthy. Yeah. It's uh, kind of got newsworthy. attention. And it is, honestly, it's the only death this week, so we might as well talk about it now. God Paul, Paul damn it. Walker dies in a car crash. Um yeah, I was, I didn't think about Paul Walker a lot, and it really sucked to learn, like, who knew he was an egotistical piece of shit? <laughs> like, a bunch of positive stories came out about this man whose work I didn't love, but uh, I love the Fast and the Furious movies, and if you've never seen it, the best tribute you can do for Paul Walker is watching the movie Running Scared. It is the pulpy, mm. most insane film you have never, ever seen. Uh, very, very crazy. Yep. So this blows because he's in the middle of shooting uh, Fast and Furious 7. Uh, he dies in a car crash and he was not the one driving. It nope. was his friend. They were in a Porsche and he was doing 100 miles an hour. Yeah. That's yeah, one of those things when you're just like, well, of course he died like that. But no, life isn't a movie. You can die in a million different ways. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's just it's so unfair. I. I don't know why it makes me like extra mad when someone is the passenger and they die or they get hit by someone else and they die. It was like, cause they did nothing wrong. Yeah. You had but... nothing to do with this. I mean, he probably said to slow down. Cheap federal energy policy has pretty much made us all res resigned to possibly die in a car at any given time. Uh, yeah. it, 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 that my, it, it, it does make the fast and the furious movies more fascinating. I cannot believe how well they send out, Paul Walker, but I love that Brian is still alive in that series and it's got one movie left and my prediction always has been one way or another Brian's coming back in that final film. Mm -hmm. I I am I would put Just like put money CGI on. him. Well, if and... you if you remember in it, it they had to finish the 7th movie with his brother. His brother has the same body make as him for the most part and I think they did some extra CG face work but his brother is his body double throughout that film it is still very noticeable he's not there because he never says anything of relevance what time is it let's do this family forever <laughs> <laughs> it never is specific to what's actually happening uh, rarely it is because he didn't get to film that much but it, it is one of the more valiant completions of a movie 
that doesn't result to straight up AI digital replacement. Um, yeah. Or just them being like, Brian, no, an unrelated explosion. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, Brian was in there. It, it, it really yeah, is like. him off with felt pretty tacky. Yeah. Instead, they retire him. His wife has showed up again. But uh, Ryan is, is, remains to be seen. But again, one of the most... I cannot believe so many things about this movie. The most elegant on-screen send-off to a fictional character I think I've ever seen. And it's <laughs> iconic. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about and you're singing the song right now. Moving on to the movies of 2013. The Hunger Games Catching Fire is still number one at the box office. Uh, boy, is the box office about to get... I think it for me is a huge shakeup. So let's get these dickheads out of the way. Susan Boyle, sorry, Susan Boyle, uh, Susan Boyle, Lester McCoy, McCoy, Leslie Manville, uh, Samantha Barks, and Hans Matheson in the Christmas Candle. Jesus, this is one of these where a lot of times I see these smaller movies and I realize they probably went to direct to DVDs. I'm not going to put them in. I think it's Netflix really wants me to watch this right now, and I'm like. No. Oh, there it is. Okay. Well, now I have to find out what it is. Uh, it is a Christian movie about a town where every Christmas an angel blesses a candle and a wish comes true. But like the local, you know, uh, minister doesn't like that because we should rely on God for miracles instead of angels. But like we're, I'm not sure on this cosmology here, guys. And then like. Yeah, everyone wants to get a candle and they all make wishes and then maybe something comes true and Susan Boyle sings a song and it's lovely. And this, uh, yeah, it reviews were pretty brutal. It's like, yeah, if you look, if you're looking for extremely clean Christian entertainment, that's not super preachy and has like nice Victorian costumes. Sure. Whatever. But everyone else like, no, God, no. And also Filander didn't see it. Frank Grillo, Kate Bosworth, Winona Ryder and James Franco. And Jason, Jason Statham in Homefront, not to be confused with the blockbuster oh. video game about North Korea invading America. <laughs> uh, Homefront. Yeah. There's another one that's like this movie barely exists, right? Because um, Jason Statham is a former DEA agent who just once retires to, um, you know, tax break Louisiana. And <laughs> it turns out. Or, but, or no, his kid gets in a fight with another kid at school and then it spirals out of control because, like, that kid's parents are m- m- making meth. And then, like, now he's got to take down a whole drug ring. Mm. Uh, oh, boy. No it, one cares. Let's get to boy. the big guy. There we go. Thank you. Uh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and Chris Williams, Santino Fontana, Alan Tudyk's Tudyk, uh, Jonathan Croft, Josh Gad. Idina Menzel and Christian Kristen Bell. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to talk about Disney's Frozen. This Thanksgiving. Hello! Ah, it's Hi, you're creepy. Strange things happen. Why are you hanging off the earth like a bat? When the whole world It's getting colder by the minute is frozen. We just have to survive this blizzard! That's no blizzard! That's my sister! Woo! Woo! <laughs> Frozen, man, I am still Frozen. taken aback by, it, like, it, you couldn't have choreographed a behind-the-scenes story better for a movie. Mm. Disney kind of struggling to find itself in animation and finds itself by reconnecting with exactly what made them famous to begin with. They acquire Pixar, animation has to switch from uh, 
traditional animation is CG. Uh, musicals. Disney musicals are falling out of fashion. Milan in 1998 is the last what I'd call Disney musical. There are songs. Tangled deserves a little bit of credit, but it's Alan Menken again. I think the criticism is that those songs are derivative. This is like a full on theater kid Broadway production in a way that Disney has not done in decades. Again, I, I love this movie. And I didn't expect to. I wasn't looking forward to it. It just all kind of hit me by surprise. I have not seen anything. We have not seen anything like this in the last 10 years. That movie was 10 years ago. Disney has released numerous hit animated movies. If you go into a Target and Walmart toy, there are still Elsa and Anna merchandise everywhere. It has not abated in a decade. Yeah. No, you want to know why? You want to hear 1.28 billion, billion reasons why. This is the number one film of 2013 by quite a bit. Yeah. Iron Man 3, it's near, but no. What were you going to say, JR? Uh, that it's really rare for pop culture to stick around these days. Yeah. I mean, Frozen, yes, it's based on the Hans Christian Andersen tale uh, from 150 years ago, but essentially it's a new IP, you know. Yeah. Elsa, Anna, Hans, they're all new IPs. And it's rare for a new IP to penetrate this explode yeah. and yeah. franchise out this much. And it is. This is a franchise now. You've got your Christmas specials. You've got your sequels. You've got your interquills. Uh, you've got true. your comic you books. You have, if you video. have not seen it, because it's, granted, they retrofitted an uh, Epcot Viking ride in Norway into Frozen. <laughs> Look up the... Olaf Robot. I have you have never seen a Disney animatronic run towards you and walk alongside you. It is Whoa. truly astonishing. It like it gave me goosebumps when I saw it in person. And but I, I also part of the story, Disney had been adapting the Snow Queen in some form since nineteen forty. It had been addressed several oh. times. I think there was a Snow Queen ride in the Disney park before this was ever a glimmer in John Lasseter's eye, who sort of made the push to he was heading up Disney when this was greenlit and it went through various incarnations. Is this going to be CG or traditionally animated like princess and the frog? Elsa was the villain initially. And what I, yeah. the most astonishing part about it is probably their smartest choice. And I think what is easy to find endearing, no matter who you are, we're going to have a love conquers all ending, but it is about siblings and not about, romantic yeah. love we there they avoid any of that problematic horseshit even my friends who like don't really want to push disney princesses on them this is different it, the your love for your sibling is totally it even universal for single single child families it's very easy to understand yeah that is the thing that i going through the marketing on this was pretty fascinating first of all it's hard to find an ad where they say anything because mostly it's just a lot of Olaf comic bits and they really make it look like Tangled. Cause Tangled did very well and yeah. Tangled is a great movie. It has and a similar naming took. convention. Like we're not going to yeah. call it the classic name. We're going to give it a cool yeah, name. It's the, the idea that it's we like, can't copyright the classic name. Yeah, yeah. that's probably more. But it's like the, it, the, the same sort of idea that it's like, no, we're leading, there's a lot of adventure in this. You like adventure, right? A lot of them don't even show that it is a musical. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. And, and, and but that's the casting I, it reflects that because I love 
you know, Pixar was usually like, we're not going to get the most famous person for this. We're going to get the person that's most right. And mm-hmm. I don't think for anybody, this cast would be the, we have a multi-million dollar Disney movie. Let's go get the Book of Mormon kid and the Dina, the the wicked lady and uh, Kristen Bell being your most famous person in this. It's pretty astonishing. Well, I mean, if you are a theater nerd, and sure. I will say this is a movie for theater yes. nerds. This is absolutely about being the weird theater kid who... Everyone is like, God, can't you just calm down and be normal? And then you go, fine, I'll just go off by myself. And then your loved ones have to come try to stop you from sulking the whole time. Like, that's that's literally the plot. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it, it, it and the musical theming is a lot about coming out, overcoming fear, <sighs> loss and desire, <laughs> nostalgia. Like, it's just it astounds me how well because like the. I wasn't familiar with the songwriting team. They're a husband and wife songwriting team, right? Yeah, Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, who also did Book of Mormon, and also they've done uh, like everything now. I mean, if you're a theater person, you would be intimately familiar with them. But like, I just got to give Disney credit for knowing this was coming because, like, did this make being a theater kid cool in the same way being a Marvel fan is way cooler than it was when I was a Marvel fan. I would oh, have been afraid so. to wear Spider-Man shirts to school uh, at a certain yep. age. Not now. Yeah. No, I just, I never thought as a killjoy feminist, I would see a Disney movie about feminism. Yeah. It's yeah. a princess, a Disney princess movie with a very clear feminist theme that you, but you know, you got to do for yourself sometimes. It's not that, you know, you don't need no man necessarily, but it's like every Prince Charming does not have your best interests at heart. And, you know, what you really want is a partner, like a teammate, mm-hmm. uh, maybe with a reindeer, or, or, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Being swept off your feet means you don't have your feet on the ground anymore. And sometimes you got to run. Yeah. Up a, uh, up, a, up a glass flight of stairs that you just made yeah. out of ice. Yeah. Oh my oh. God. It, it was one of those moments that made me so happy. I was playing with one of my friend's kids. And of course, oh my God, she loves, she loves Frozen so much. And I was saying, well, who do you like better, Elsa or Anna? And she said, well, I like Elsa because she's pretty, but I like Anna because she's brave. Awesome. And I was like, I got to go send Disney some money. Yeah. I, <laughs> I never, as a little kid, we never described, I like this female character because she's brave. It's incredible and it's deeply moving and I I get teary the same way I do at like Broadway shows. You can if you go to my Amazon Prime like, "Huh. Frozen's only halfway watched." It's because your boy gets drunk and has to go watch Let It Go at full volume until he weeps himself to sleep. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. It's making me weepy just talking about it. Like I I really they are masters at hitting the emotional beats and Let It Go is a concept that everyone can relate to yeah. everyone has had some point in their life when they felt like this uh soon after this movie came out i actually had a fight with my wife i was a stay-at-home dad at the time it was a very stressful mm. time for us so i went you know what i'm just gonna go for a run and i went for a run i'm pulling up my playlist and <laughs> i just start playing this song on repeat <laughs> I know it's awesome. I just again and again, as I'm just busting out mile after mile, trying to, you know, get out all these emotions and it's works. 
It was like so cathartic. I actually ran about 16 miles that night. Wow. And, yeah. Not 100% let it go. Just like yeah. 67% let it go on repeat. Just about it. It just, it's so odd to Disney come back with such a, because if you look at the movies, they, all right, we got the message. You want CG animation. We're going to make shit like Pixar. No offense to any of those movies. I know they have their fans, but Bolt. Meet the Robinsons, Chicken Little. Chicken Little? It's a huge character in Kingdom Hearts. Like, who remembers those? They didn't penetrate the zeitgeist in a way that Frozen didn't. It all came down to returning to something classical. And it just seems so... Un I remember seeing a trailer for this. Like, characters aren't... They're not drastic designs. There's like three colors in this palette. It doesn't... It somehow manages to be visually interesting despite that and has so many great moments. Every time I turn it on, I'm like... I always forget about the trolls. I always forget about. Yep. <laughs> always forget yep. about them. Every single time. I know, I know. the trolls are great. Mm -hmm. Like when they showed up, I was so surprised. They're like, "Oh, this is we're, we have trolls and stuff. We're, we're building on the magic. We're gonna have even more ma magic in here." Yeah. Oh. Okay. All, all things they they toned down along the way. Even shocked to read like at some point Louis C.K. was a big comedic force in this film. Uh, that did not pan out. But yeah, working backwards from the idea of sibling love conquers all. That was the mandate. Like uh, make something a little more universal and something Jezebel's not going to make fun of us over. And and I <laughs> think I know I hate to, have to bring it up like that, but I I I I cannot tip my hat enough to this because I think we live in more cynical contenty times but to make something this satisfying uh that appe appeals all over the globe and that i think every park is going to get an arendelle area that's not Ooh. something most movies get that's something the star wars franchise gets there are two frozen movies and i have in an argument with someone i'm seeing like uh you were wrong about frozen 2 it is a uh, perfect depiction of grief and like oh, oh all right because like ladies get more out of this movie than i do because i don't know that they'd seen disney movies with female characters written like this a little more realistic and root worthy hmm. i guess i didn't care much for frozen 2 i've mm -hmm. never gone back to rewatch it i'm a little bummed out they're making frozen 3 and frozen 4 back to back Are right they? now Oh yeah, I didn't know that. that's just dropped, and it doesn't sound like a good idea to me. No, especially not with. I, I, I this is a longer conversation, but like it talks of like superhero fatigue. All Bob Iger, a genius, all he did was sequels all the time. <laughs> Popular IP. That's what. That's what, and I don't know that that strategy can last forever because pe eventually people want something in completely different. And I think that's what Frozen was. Um. Let's put let's table Alan Menken making our songs. No, he did us great with a uh, Lion King and all that, but let's get some new blood in here. And it's been going kind of swimmingly ever since, man. With Encanto and Moana bringing on um, Lin Manuel Miranda, like Disney films connecting in a way I did nostalgically for their heyday, because like we all kind of grew up in there in the Renaissance of them finding themselves again. It's just such a positive story on screen and behind the scenes. It makes me, everything about Frozen makes me really happy, and I, I hope, I hope, <laughs> I hope you guys feel that way too, and have endured me talking about it for this long because we can move on. But I, I yeah. do we do I have to hard recommend for Frozen? 
Yeah, it's a hard yeah, it's recommend. A recommend. And it's also, it, it is one of those things that's like, it makes me happy that this caught on. This, yeah. this in so many ways, this feels like a Disney animated movie that I would watch years after it came out and be like, that was really good. Why didn't anyone else see this? Did, did no one tell them that it was good? Yeah. Kind of like Princess and the Frog. Like, that movie was great. What's everyone's problem? And no, everyone saw this before me. They saw it 18 times. Yeah, going off a trailer, I don't think I would have put a lot of money on this being the juggernaut or just even being successful, but let alone the juggernaut it became. JR, please, as a parent, any irritations with the ubiquity of Frozen having a daughter? I mean, like anything else, it was huge for a while. Uh, my daughter was three when this came out, mm -hmm. so it didn't really get the full-on force it would have if mm. she was like eight by yeah. the time she was old enough to listen to things again and again and again it had kind of died down but when i did take her to disney world there were a couple of jokes when we went to see the frozen uh show of like and parents the song you've heard a thousand times <laughs> yeah 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 i i, I know a, a lot of parents who have a strange relationship with this film giving that it played like Muzak in their house for like half a decade. But I think that's a testament to how lovable it really is. If you haven't seen it, really good Thanksgiving watch, and you can put it on for anybody. There's, it's impossible not to like. Frozen is wonderful. We good? All hard recommends for Frozen? Yep. Oh, Big. I miss Sonia. Uh, moving on to television. <laughs> <laughs> television of 2013. Um Jamie, Private School Girl, debuts on Disney XD. That's a channel I'm not familiar with, but yeah, that happens. That, that's not related to the Australian show I'm thinking of. No, not the, the one, the, the multiple right. character guy. Right. I thought that was also a... Hey, yeah. No, it is. Yeah, Jamie, oh, Private School Girl is, yeah, the Australian uh, mockumentary. Oh, okay. I, th I saw that on HBO, I thought. Or maybe that was the a different one because yeah. I think he did multiple variations on that theme uh, a show that has been on my list to watch forever on HBO I love the HBO like we're going to greenlight something that's not for everybody getting on uh, I've heard nothing but great things it stars I think the fucking queen of television Lori Metcalf just one of my Ooh. favorite people and uh, oh what's her Alex Lois on Family Guy, if we want to say, and Miss Maisel. Uh, Alex Borstein. Alex Borstein, who I think is fucking awesome, and I, I love seeing her face again after all this time behind Lois. Um, and speaking of, I think this is very cool with the series. Uh, uh, the series producers reasoning it to be a fun way to shake things up, and I think Seth MacFarlane said to remind them that we can still do different things, but he did not expect the anger <laughs> that came out after 11 years Family Guy's Brian Griffin dies after being hit by a car in the episode Life of Brian. The and it doesn't stick around. I mean, yeah. no. Nah. But it, it stuck around long enough for people to think, is this sticking around? It it's it's very funny to me because they they uh, they even announce it and Brian will be replaced by Tony Sirico as a new dog. <laughs> Paulie Walnuts and it's it's great. Uh we did a laser time about lost entertainment. I think the idea happened and they had already started animating other episodes. So the next three episodes, the footage of Brian in the role of Polly Walnut's dog is removed, and nobody's ever seen that. It's So they kill Brian, and he's dead for, I think, a month? 
three or four episodes. The funniest thing to come about, I don't know if it's real and I can't repeat it verbatim because it has the N word in it a lot. Somebody put like bye to a real one and got a tattoo of Brian Griffin, like RIP. And someone's just like, dude, they brought him back in like a week, you idiot. Like, what, what a silly thing to have on your body forever. <laughs> I don't get tattoos at a time. I'm just like, really? <laughs> uh, wait a this while. This is what you want forever? Wait a while, especially in, in this learning so much about awful people we revere. Like, be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you you want to be careful. I'm. I'm just picturing the person in 2012 getting like a Bill Cosby and Michael Jackson (laughs) tattoo because they were such a huge part of their childhood. Timeless. Also, I was going to say, it is raining slash hailing right now, so if I suddenly disappear, my power goes out. Uh, But but what I find fascinating, they were writing about it. Yeah, we just, we wanted to show that the show changes and the biggest change will be emotionally with Stewie because he's losing his best friend. And I love being reminded, Stewie is a completely different character than the first, shit, 100 episodes where he's a fucking supervillain and now his thing is to be Brian's best friend. That's the most crucial element to being Stewie. Weird. Well, they're kind of frenemies. They're they're best friends. They give each other a ton of shit. It's true. It is true. But I mean, a lot of best friends do that. Um, (laughs) Anyway, moving on to some... Christmas is some holiday entertainment coming up right after Turkey Day. Christmas Bounty TV movie where a female bounty hunter becomes an elementary school teacher. I think only the opposite would be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That would be interesting. She gives everyone a good talking to by using their (laughs) words to tell the judge that they're sorry. Oh, don't get it. And I'm shocked. I totally have forgotten to see. Lady Gaga and the Muppets Holiday Spectacular. Well, uh, I got to see. Thought it. you would be all over this. Um, if if it was airing on TV at the time, I just didn't have TV. And uh, and what, what? It's actually the second Lady Gaga Thanksgiving special. She did a very Gaga Thanksgiving in 2011, really? <laughs> and I kind of wish we had a biannual Lady Gaga Thanksgiving tradition. I'd say to the present day. give it time. Once the <laughs> trajectory of music royalties keeps falling, I'm sure something like, look at Mariah Carey now, riding the holiday hype of a single song, given how crazy her career was. Jesus yeah. Christ, she is a Christmas character in and of herself. I just want to see if I, this is... Yeah. I just realized, I have seen uh, a number from this where mm-hmm. she sings Baby It's Cold Outside with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but the genders are reversed, so she's the aggressor. Oh, I don't That's see fun. that it's streaming on Disney+, Plus. so I imagine there are <laughs> some music rights involved, and I believe I canceled my Disney+, Plus on the anniversary of my first annual, annual payment, so yes... I'm saying that to Diana too. Warning, get it all in because it's about to go away. Okay. (laughs) The Disney Plus subscription we're sharing. Um, Yes, but wouldn't be 302010 if we didn't say also games or game. Mule returns for iOS. (laughs) Mule was one of the first strategy games. Uh, Mm. It stands for Multi-Use Labor Elements for a 1983 game. It's incredibly uh, rich and in-depth. Will Wright, creator of SimCity, has credited this game as a major influence. And this is just one of those attempts to, hey, remember that thing you played when you were a child? It's on iOS now, and now it's gone. There is no way to play this at all. 
Bummer arm. Bummer arm. But uh, that is about the end of the show. Uh, we're going to get some plugs in, but we're also going to tell you who died and who lived with a quiz you can play along with for a birthday quiz. Uh, throw a plug to ours. Hey, Sonia, we got something uh, people should look out for? I am on Instagram as Sonia Ballantyne. I am on, still on Twitter. I'm not calling it X. I'll be dead <laughs> in the deep cold ground before I call it X. I am uh, as uh, Sonia Ballantyne there as well. I am also, uh, keep an eye out for my forthcoming feature documentary Ooh. debut, The Death Ooh. Tour, uh, which will be coming out in January. And I, uh, it has Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega. Uh, like It was such a fun wow. thing to film. And I'm so excited and so proud of it i think i may have legitimate legitimized wrestling i am just saying that so i'm not like trying to hype it up too much but please check it out like um it, when it comes to you it's directed by me and steph peterson and i yeah but i think that's all i want to recommend today but yeah follow me on insta, on insta please <laughs> love you sonia thank you so great to ever join us uh i always gotta mention patreon.com slash laser time support the show and the network Five bucks is all we ask. If you want to give more, great. Less, great. But nothing? Come on! We had to do a lot this week. <laughs> I cannot believe... I did have to say the phrase like uh, to my lady friend, I thought we were supposed to have lunch today. Sorry, baby. I stayed up too late watching Frozen. Like a hero. <laughs> like <laughs> like a respectable adult. Uh, but it did happen. Up until 4 a.m. watching Frozen. Enjoying the hell out of it. Um... Uh, thank you so much. Video Game Apocalypse is out this week, and we're talking about, inspired partially by this show, the PS4 and Xbox One are 10 years old. Their birthdays are three days apart, and we're trying to talk about the best games of that generation 10 years on. Uh, so check that out, including thoughts on new games and such, as well as the PlayStation Portal. Who is that for? Dai, what you got? Well, you can follow me on Blue Sky at Listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow, nah, you can't follow the show on Twitter. I'm not doing that because that guy's a Nazi. I did, so Blue Sky, uh, get so off. I'm a, I'm a Blue Sky for now, even though it doesn't work as well, but it'll get there. It's got to get days. there. Twitter was a great Blue resource, and I encourage well-meaning people to abandon the outrage yeah. machine and misinformation dogpile. Yeah, and most, most of the people that I wanted to follow the most are on Blue Sky now, so mm -hmm. um, pretty good. Anyway, coming up next week, I feel like next week is kind of a bye week between Thanksgiving mm. and all of getting slammed with, uh, with all the, the Christmas holiday stuff. So it's a little calmer, but we do have some fun things to talk about. Um, one of them, we have a, a film directed by Bob Odenkirk oh boy. that I had not actually heard of. I'm sorry. I'm sure you won't like it. Okay. Oh, <laughs> wait, is it, does it start with an M? Yes. Uh, not, a, it's one of the few things I saw with the directors and I was trying to, I'd never seen them again. They're the FBI people on Arrested Development. Watch the dog. They're all, for, yeah. they're for the Melvin goes to dinner guys for me. Ah, and um, oh, they presented it at okay. my film school. Uh, so I watched the movie with them. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. We also have, I think that the big ticket item next week when it comes to like big budget epic type stuff is Tom Cruise is going to go to Japan and become the best Japanese guy that Japan has ever seen. So weird that movie exists. <laughs> and it was a massive hit. Yep. And we're going to talk about it. And also the debut of a little boy that no one likes, named Guillermo del Toro. Whoa! And if that wasn't enough, Paris it's not. Hilton... 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just said it's not. Oh, okay. So <laughs> Paris, sorry. Paris Hilton is going to make her reality TV debut. Ooh, Paving the, the way for best? a cat in the hat cameo. Forgot to mention that idiocy. Sorry. Oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck. The best Pac-Man game of the 21st century comes ah, out. I know, mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about, and I'm in total agreement. Duke Nukem 2 and SimCity 2000 are going to make their uh, debut. And finally, a little cartoon that tells us that nobody exists on purpose. (laughs) Nobody belongs anywhere. We're all going to die. Come watch TV starts. Wow. Mm. Ten years on, I thought I was done, but it's last two episodes have been very interesting. I'll say that. Mm. Okay. All right, so with that out of the way, die who died, it's Paul Walker. and It's just Paul Walker. He's only Paul 40. Walker. That's enough. Yeah, R.I.P. Paul Walker. Um, well, JR, that was quick. Uh, what do we got after that? The birthday quiz. From home movies, if I've never said that enough. That's what that song is from. Turning 60. So... He changed his name for show business by making his last name first and his first name last. Huh. Interesting. It's not John yeah. Stewart or Michael Ian Black. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. Born in Chicago in 1963 on November 27th. Gary Sinise. No. What? Sinise wow. is a weird first name. Hey, I'm Sinise. <laughs> Sinise Gary. No. <laughs> Sorry. To his mother, Sally, a painter and AIDS activist, and his father, a furniture executive. <laughs> okay. I feel like you're making this up, but please continue. Nope. He dated actress Michelle Pfeiffer from 1989 until 1992. Huh. Oh. Huh. He later dated and then eventually married longtime filmmaking partner Alexis Bloom. Hmm. So a director? Most famous for playing a Indian, he is not actually an Indian himself. Shit, that feels like it should be the giveaway. Wow, that really should have done it. Fuck. Films of his we've talked about include Reversals of Fortune. Uh, Fisher Stevens. Fisher oh, Stevens. Oh, that, that Indian. Born, yes. born Stephen Fisher. Oh, oh wow. really? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's a interesting change of name. Yeah. But uh, yeah, famously played an Indian in Short Circuit and Short Circuit True. Not actually of Indian descent himself. Benjamin Javid. Hilarious Conan sketch on that matter. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Aziz. Yeah. Uh, he was also in Reversal of Fortune, Bob Roberts, Anything Else, Hail Caesar, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The French Dispatch, and Asteroid City. Wow. Wow, wow, he wow. Was wow. just on WTF. I haven't listened to it yet. Um, Oscar winner. Oscar winner Fisher Stevens. Love saying yep, that. Yep, Oscar winner for producing The Cove. The, the Cove. One of the hardest documentaries to watch ever. Uh, just a bay full <laughs> of blood. Just, yep. And I think he's got a new one out. So yeah. interested to hear what that's about. I think you should fight the guys from Blackfish. Um, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, anyway. No, I want to depict animals getting hurt. No, I do. Happy birthday, Fisher Stevens. Short Circuit Yay. 2 is better than Citizen Kane. Um, <laughs> it's true. Look it up. 
Uh, <laughs> on patreon.com slash Adrian. Thank you, Sonia Ballantyne, very much for your guest appearance. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to close out with... Uh, Something from Frozen. Now, I didn't want to just go to the obvious one. I wanted to know if anyone had a favorite deep cut. But the Frozen version of Let It Go, where they play Let It Go with 37 different languages. Oh, Ooh, I'm going to have to look that up. That is a, uh, yeah, let's close out with that. That sounds really cool. Um, okay. Absolutely, because I would have gone with the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze version. Let you go. But yes, an unbelievably great song. Uh, happy to close with it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Try and let things go this holiday. We'll see you next week. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight. Not a footprint to be seen. Un royaume de solitude m'a placé là pour toujours. Der Wind erheut so wie der Sturm ganz tief in mir. Het wird mij te veel, hoop mijn best ook Ülajék, 